Council meeting. Today is Wednesday, July 5th, 2023. And we are starting the meeting with a closed session, but I'm going to ask the City Clerk, Laura Weisinger, to please call the roll. Vice Mayor Daysag. Here. Councilmember Sarah Spencer. Present. Jensen. Here. Mayor Ezzie Ashcraft. Here. Councilmember Vela should be joining us shortly. Great. So item number two is public comment on closed session items. And um, only six members of the public may speak for up to three minutes. Seven or more may speak for up to two minutes. Madam Clerk, do we have any public speakers on the closed session items? I'm just going to get confirmation from the studio. Okay, no raised hands. No raised hands and no one in the um, council chambers. So with that, we will um, close the public comment and we will um, adjourn to closed session in just a moment to consider the following items that I would like to ask the city clerk to please announce for us. 3A is conference of legal counsel pending litigation, significant exposure to litigation pursuant to government code section 54956.9, subsection D2. Number of cases is one with the city uh, exposure to legal action. The city of Alameda claim number is GH004333. The plaintiffs are Darren Chen and Jennifer Chen on behalf of Wilma Chan. And 3B is public employee performance evaluation pursuant to government code section 54957. The position evaluated is city manager. All right, thank you, Madam Clerk. And with that, the council will adjourn to closed session and we'll be back at seven o'clock. So see you then. For the city of Alameda, today is Wednesday, July 5th. Usually we meet on a Tuesday, but you might have known that yesterday was a holiday. We had a little party here in the city. Um, the council has just returned from closed session, and so um, I'm going to ask the city clerk to announce uh, the action, if any, that was taken in uh, city council in closed session. Okay, so the first one um, was a action on pending litigation on a claim and staff provided information and council provided direction uh, by unanimous uh, vote, eyes, all five eyes. And then uh, the second was a public employee performance evaluation of the city manager and no action was taken and no vote was taken. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And with that, I adjourn the closed session of the City Council, and I'd like to call the regular City Council meeting to order. We will start with the Pledge of Allegiance, and I'd like to ask Vice Mayor Tony Desog to please lead us in the pledge. Please rise as you are able. Ready, begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Desaad. Um, City Council members, we come next to item two, is a, which is agenda changes. I have one agenda change I would like you to vote to approve. Um, we have a rather long um, consent calendar. I think some things are um, going to get pulled that may generate some discussion. But we also have the adoption of resolutions to approve our newly appointed library board and social service human relations board members. And I'd really like to not keep them waiting until after all that discussion. So if someone would be willing to move and second that we bring um, item 7A up to um, right after um, we do the proclamation, which is about to happen. That would greatly please me. So moved. 
We've had a motion from uh, Councilmember Vela, seconded by the Vice Mayor. All those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Abstentions? That motion passes unanimously. Thank you, Council. I appreciate that courtesy. All right, that's my only agenda change. So we move on to proclamations, um, special orders of the day. And there is one proclamation that I have. Um, and I'm so excited to see um, Cindy Houts, Executive Director of the Alameda Food Bank, in the audience. So here we go. Whereas, after eight years as Executive Director of the Alameda Food Bank and the longest tenured Executive Director in the Food Bank's 46-year history, Cindy Houts is retiring on August 4, 2023, and whereas prior to joining the Alameda Food Bank, Cindy was executive director of Alameda County Meals on Wheels for seven years where she grew their annual budget by 60% through successful grant writing and fundraising campaigns. And whereas Cindy's fearless, determined leadership of the Alameda Food Bank was on full display when the COVID-19 pandemic struck, in 2020, and the food bank's clientele grew tenfold to 1,800 clients a week. Almost overnight, Cindy helped transition the food bank to a new location at Alameda Point, a new larger location in Alameda Point, where volunteers could provide contactless delivery by placing food boxes in car trunks, even when the line of cars grew to over 900 cars. And anybody who was around then and made the mistake of heading to that end of town saw a long line of cars down the road, but thus ensuring that everyone received the food they needed. Whereas Cindy brought a passion for food security and innovative leadership to the Alameda Food Bank, including introducing grocery store-style shopping for food bank clients just 15 months after the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, in a setting that resembles a Trader Joe's, more than 1,000 families a week select their groceries at the food bank's island community market, love the name, at Alameda Point by providing grocery carts and letting clients choose the food they want and need rather than receiving boxes of pre-selected items. Cindy helped bring dignity to the client experience while dramatically eliminating food waste. And whereas Cindy's service to the Alameda Food Bank is illustrated by this quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Why should there be hunger and deprivation in any land, in any city, at any table, when man has the resources and the scientific know-how to provide all mankind with the basic necessities of life? There is no deficit in human resources. The deficit is in human will. Whereas for the past eight years, Cindy Houts demonstrated that will, serving the most vulnerable members of our community and through her service, leaving the city of Alameda a stronger, healthier community. Now, therefore, be it resolved that I, Marilyn Ezzy Ashcraft, mayor of the city of Alameda on behalf of the Alameda City Council, hereby commend and thank Cindy Houts for her extraordinary service as executive director of the Alameda Food Bank these past eight years and wish her all the best during her impending retirement. I want to present this proclamation.
so much. Okay. Fun. Yeah. You got the paparazzi here. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. like to say a word, a few words to the public. We use the microphone so we can all catch Okay. Um, first of all, I just want to... No, no, no. Nope. Okay. Can you talk that way? You're being also oh, got it. Oh, got it. <laughs> I'm new at this. <laughs> I am really honored by this um, proclamation and being acknowledged by my community that I really have put my heart and soul into serving. And I'm very proud of the work that I'm doing. I have done. I'm also really tired and really ready to let somebody else take the reins. I know I'm leaving the food bank in excellent hands with a great staff, board, and the most amazing volunteers. I've got many of them here. Um, we truly could not do the work without them, and it's been an honor to work with them side by side, and I'm still going to be in the community. I'll take a little time, but I'm sure I'll find another way to help out somehow. So thank you very much. And it was so much fun to be a Grand Marshal yesterday on the pedicab. We almost ran into Marilyn a few times when she was on her bike. I avoided it. Yeah, so. Really bad luck to run thank into Thank you the so food. much. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for everything, Cindy Howard. <laughs> and you know, I, I just wanted to also um, note, I, I hope everyone saw the great article in the San Francisco Chronicle, um, Alameda's fourth, the July 4th Parade brings patriotism and politics to the three mile long event, but it started out with minutes before she hopped on an electric bicycle to ride in her city's jubilant 4th of July parade Tuesday morning, Alameda Mayor Marilyn Ezzie Ashcraft stopped to say hello to a group dressed up like a life-size produce basket only in Alameda. And indeed, there were volunteers from the local food bank dressed as a strawberry, snap peas, a banana, and milk carton. I saw a watermelon, too. Um, and they were there um, at the head of the huge parade because Cindy Hatz, the Alameda Food Bank's retiring executive director, was riding in a pedicab as one of this year's grand marshals. So she made it to the San Francisco Chronicle. Well deserved. Thank you so much. Yes. So then, um, now I just, we might have one public comment on this item. Our city clerk is going to call. Do I have a, a, a public comment on I, agenda items? Oh, uh, you on know a, what? He just lowered his hand. So it wasn't okay. on this proclamation. Okay, okay great. not yet. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so then we will move on to um, our item 7. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you, everybody, and Food Bank volunteers. Thanks for all you do. Um, and so, um, Madam Clerk, if you would enter, introduce this next item. Uh, Adoption of resolutions appointing Anita ba Battle, uh, Deborah Gibbons as members of the Library Board, and Gerald Bryant, Cindy Pyle, and Diane Yamashiro Omi as members of the Social Service Human Relations Board. And they're all here tonight, I think, except for uh, Anita. All right. So um, what we need to do is um, we have a resolution to um, appoint these um, library board and social service human relations board members. They are outstanding individuals with great experience whoops, that they um, bring to their respective roles. 
And I am looking for a motion to approve this nomination, these nominations. With, with great appreciation to our volunteers uh, from our community who are stepping up to serve in these uh, commissions, uh, I move approval. Thank you. Do you have a second? Councilmember Jensen seconds. Council, all those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed, any abstentions? That motion um, passes unanimously. And who do we have who's here? Uh, Ms. Battle, okay. Oh, look, there they are. Hi. <laughs> um, and we want them to come up, right? And and we ask them to say after, well, okay, we took the vote. So then, do we ask them to say a little bit about themselves after you do the oath? You've, you've given them fair warning? Okay. <laughs> And Gerald Bryant isn't here. He. I, I thought he was supposed to be here. Okay. Not, but we'll take care of him. All right. As I as I tell the the applicants when we interview that the um, this vote magically transforms you from um, an applicant to uh, an official border commission member ready to uh, be a fully participating member at the next meeting of your border commission. And um, we have two newbies and one uh, returning member. So um, who would like to step up first? Um, Diane, would you like to just tell us a little bit about your background? This is our returning Social Service Human Relations Board member, Diane Yamashiro Omi. Thank you very much for this honor, Mayor Ashcraft and honorable members of the City Council. Um, can I lift this up? You, can, you sure can. Okay. Make it yours, yeah. Okay, I have my, my mask on because yeah. I know there's a, another variant floating around. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I am retired. I've been a resident of Alameda for oh, close to 40 years. Raised the son here. And uh, my husband, Michael Omi, is a professor at UC Berkeley. He just recently retired. And both of us are very involved in um, issues around race and, uh, and also the Asian Pacific Islander community. So I served in philanthropy for over 30 years and um, have been on boards of various nonprofits, including the State Commission on API Affairs. So I feel like it's my time and my turn to contribute back to the city that I love very much. So thank you very much for the honor. Thank you so much for doing this. We appreciate it. Who's up next? Um, well, we are, um, what we stand, Social Service Human Relations Board. So, Cindy Pyle, come on up. And I have a fun backstory. Cindy and I met one time <laughs> having coffee at the local, and I can't even remember how we struck up a conversation, but we did. And then when she interviewed, I said, We've met before. So, <laughs> tell us a little about yourself in relation to this shrub, if you will. So uh, I'm a psychotherapist, a mental health professional. I work a lot with folks who experience trauma, especially um, survivors of sexual abuse and assault. So I bring that to the commission. I have um, a long background in service and activism, but I've never actually been um, involved in government. So I'm very excited to contribute in this way. Uh, I started a nonprofit to help houseless women and children. I've worked a lot with women in jail and um, transitional housing, et cetera. So yeah, looking forward to this. We're looking forward to have you join Social Service Human Relations Board. And Deborah Gibbons, come on up and tell us about you and your interest in the library board. Hi, thanks so much for this appointment. Um, 
My name is Debbie Gibbons. I've been a longtime resident of Alameda. I raised two sons here who were super into the library here. So I'm excited to uh, give back to this part of the community. I have been an educator in Oakland for 30 years. I've been a teacher librarian for the past four years, and now I'm the district librarian uh, for OUSD. So that's my new title. And so the experience I bring is um, a love of literature, encouraging a love of reading. So I'm very excited to be part of this program. Thank, Thank you. you. We're excited to have you. Thank you all so much. And I just want to say to the community, to those here and, and anyone who might be listening, Interviewing for board and commission um, to fill the positions is one of the most enjoyable things I do. It's super time consuming. I think we got something like 138 applications. I read them all. And then the staff, whoever staffs a particular board and commission, they help me decide who we should interview. We interview these amazing people. And then we have this very difficult task of choosing because there's only a couple few um, openings on each board or commission a year. Um, and sometimes people apply more than once. But it just reinforces what I suspected all along. We have amazingly talented, smart, gifted community members who are still willing to share their time and talent, give back to, um, to their community. So thank you so much to everyone who applied. It was a pleasure getting to know you, interviewing you, and to all of you who said yes um, to serving. Thank you so much. All right, so then we will go back to the agenda. I just wanted to not you know, keep people here till all hours of the night. So let's see, Madam Clerk, I think we are now at oral communication, yes. non-agenda items. And we do have speakers. Uh, all right. Uh, the first three I will call um, is uh, William Eckert, Aline Jaime, and uh, John Vilmers, I think, and William's up first. Welcome, everyone. And again, this is, this is for items that are not on the agenda. That's so, right. Welcome. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, I'm here to speak on behalf of the uh, residents of Alameda who play golf. And uh, it's my understanding that the council sets or approves the rate that residents can, uh, are charged, which is fine. But I'm wondering if you approved for the course to charge weekend rates on Fridays. I don't know if that ever came up. If so, so let me just explain. This is public comment. Right. Um, it's not Q&A. So we're listening. We're taking notes. Staff is listening. But we won't be able to answer okay. any of your questions. But you go ahead and ask the questions. Well, just don't wait for an answer. I, I, I feel that residents should be able to play on Friday for the same price as Wednesday or Tuesday. They should not have to pay extra. And um, the other thing is residents uh, who, if I'm not, if I understand the taxpaying public of Alameda, we own the golf course in a sense. And when the, the South Course first opened, it was very busy. And residents could not get a tee time. I was a founder, so I should get a time two weeks in advance. And I had friends of mine who have been playing golf there for 30, 40, 50 years, residents of Alameda, and they couldn't get a tee time. So they'd ask me to get one for them, which I would do, but then I was reprimanded for that because I'm supposed to play with them. So. Um, I feel that residents should, if the rest of the world has a seven day reservation time, Alameda residents should get eight or nine days so that they can get tea times, you know, that, they, that that's a good time to play at. And um, that's essentially it. it. It seems to me and to a lot of us that the uh, current ownership of uh, Greenway, they don't want residents playing there. They want out of towners playing because they pay more. But I don't think it's fair to residents to pay extra on Friday and to not be able to get a tea time. They should get an extra time to make a tea time. And that's it. 
Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for coming. Our next speaker. Uh, Alan? Yeah. Alan Hemi, also a resident of Alameda, in regards to pretty much the same concern with Greenway. Our question has come about with all of us residents. How is a town hall meeting that was held for the CVS at the golf course, and yet the ownership has been on the premises for three and a half years and never have, has the city addressed us on how things are gonna happen in the course. And we're all completely, we're, we're literally on needles and pins trying to get into this course, golfing on the course. It's, it's become absolutely unbearable to deal with the place and the silence has to be broken here. Something's gotta happen, sorry. Thank you. Our next speaker. John. Welcome. Good evening, Miss Mayor. And you go ahead and bring that microphone closer to City you. City Council. Yeah. I've been a resident here for over 64 years. Lived on Bay Farm Island for that long. Played golf when I was eight years old out there. Now we have big issues. I attended a golf commission meeting last month with a lot of friends. Golf commissioners could not answer a lot of our questions. Um, we need to get answers on completion of the nine holes that have been sitting there. There's no reason for it. I know there's three lawsuits and I've been following the lawsuits Gone down to the courthouse, pay a dollar, you get your pages, each page. So I'm aware of what's going on in this town. Um, I'm tired of the rumors in the papers. I can't believe the papers anymore. Another question I have is, uh, uh, manager of the golf course was under park and recs, I believe. Is that position been filled? The last one is moved up to assistant city manager. So we need to have a little resolve to what's going on out there so as residents we could use it and not be walking around on pins and needles. You all know that we have the sunshine ordinance in this town. You also know there is a brown act. You all know what it's about. I think we need a little more transparency for us residents. After all, we pay our property taxes. We use our facilities. I grew up in the park system. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our time, um, you're our next speaker. We have one remote and then we'll go back to in-person and the okay. remote is uh, Paul Busterian. Welcome, Speaker Busterian. Hi everyone. Uh, yeah, I'd like to thank everyone in the city who, who contributed to making the parade go well yesterday. I think it's a great tradition, celebrating our our American democracy and bringing the community together. And I was proud to march, march with the League of Women Voters. Um, after 2016, like many people, I became concerned about democracy in America, and I found the league, our local league, is really pushing things forward there, both keeping our democracy strong and innovating for the future. One initiative we're working on is ranked choice voting. 
And ranked choice voting reduces the influence of, of special interests to manipulate elections and empowers voters to better express their preferences. And we're working to bring RCV to Alameda. Uh, so yeah, if you're interested in that, um, check out the league's website or check out voterchoicealameda.com. Yeah, and one other item I'd like to talk about, um, moving from kind of our, our political resilience to physical resilience, I was, um, I was able to attend the, the first in-person meeting of the San Leandro Bay Adaptation Working Group on June 21st. And um, that group is working to address sea level rise, groundwater rise, liquidation impact, flooding implications regionally. Um, and the, the really impressive thing about this meeting is it brought together the key, key regional people, entities that care about this and can make things happen. Alameda government, Oakland government, San Leandro government, Port of Oakland, Caltrans, groups like CASA. And it's early days, but it's encouraging to get all the right people talking. And so thanks to especially city staff, Danielle Mieler and Gail Payne for leading this effort. And, and thanks to the council for empowering this and making Alameda a leader in regional um, infrastructure and keeping us resilient, keeping things going for the future for us. And, Thank you. Uh, Time's yeah. up. Our next speaker. Um, we have two more in person. Uh, Rich Schacht, followed by Joe Laparo. Welcome. Yes, my name is Richard Schacht. I've lived in town for 59 years. I've golfed in Alameda for 49 so, since I was quite small. And I'm not here so much to talk about the operator, but in reviewing the contract um, that was originally done, I'm not an attorney. I certainly am not a contract attorney. It seems like it was done very well. It runs 47 pages. But there's some things that don't seem to be complied with. Uh, Greenways to send a representative to the Golf Commission meeting. I've been there two, three times, watched online once. I haven't seen anyone there. There's supposed to be an annual plan done Jan by January 31st of every, every year reviewed by the city the city to make some suggestions that may or may not be acted on. I don't know if that's being done. You folks would know. Um, but it's my hope that the city's living up to its end of the contract. And it's very, very detailed. It gets down to um, as silly as it says right here, open every day of the year from dawn to dusk. I'm divorced. My kids are grown. I like to play on Christmas. It's closed. That's a silly thing, I know. But it, it's, it's my hope that we get a little more clarity of the operation out there. I'm not going to get into uh, how the ownership change took place and how the new operator was vetted. That seems very strange to me, uh, according to the contract and how it reads. Um, but also someone each month from Greenways to meet with a representative of the city manager. I don't know if that's taking place. It'd be nice to know. It'd be nice to know if we, if we can read any transcripts or anything from those meetings, whatever we're entitled to as citizens. But it, it seems we could get better clarity. And uh, I don't want to re reiterate what some of my comrades have said, but um, it, it would be nice to know that the city's really living up to its, its end of the, of the contract. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Mr. Laparo, come on up. Good evening, Mayor and City Council members. Um, first, let me thank you for the continued duration of the July 4th parade. It was awesome and everybody really loved it. Um, so back to my favorite subject, the Veterans Memorial Building. 
I was unable to attend last week, but I watched the PWC director speak out about certain items that we had requested to have done. The ones I'm going to address tonight for limited time is the bar and the kitchen area. Now, she had indicated that the restoration in the bar and the kitchen um, will take considerable investment and that those items are not in use presently. I'd like to say they're not in use presently because the city, and I don't blame you because you weren't all here, but they took all of the appliances out of that building and used them for the um, officers club at the base when the base closed, um, rendering ours basically unusable, nothing left in it. So that's why it's not used, but if you rebuild it, believe me, it'll get use. We plan to hold uh, even breakfast for homeless veterans down there and stuff. So um, we're really in need of this. And it's not that we don't understand that it's going to take a considerable investment and we don't need it tomorrow, but we need to start talking about it and need to get it done in some time frame. Right now, it's not even on, you know, basically it's basically, you know, just a dream right now because nobody's even making a plan for it but we sure need to get it done for the veterans of tomorrow. Um, we're here not only to use it, but also we've got to make it usable for the people that are coming tomorrow. Those veterans deserve at least that. Um, one last thing, we fight not because we hate the condition of the building, but we fight because we love the veterans that will follow in our footsteps. Thank you. Thanks. Our next speaker? That was our last That's speaker. That's our last speaker. Okay, so with that, we will close item four, oral communications, and we'll move on to the consent calendar where items are routine and will be improved by one motion. Members of the public may speak for up to two minutes on the entire consent calendar, and following public comment, the council can remove items and speak for up to five minutes on each item. So um, what I'm looking for is a motion to approve the consent calendar. Uh, we have a motion from Councilmember Jensen to approve. Second. Seconded by Councilmember Vela. All those in favor signify by stating I'm sorry. Aye. I'd like to pull a couple items, and oh. I don't know if we have speakers on the consent calendar. Okay, we have a motion and a second, but we'll hold um, the vote, and we might make that a motion to approve the balance of the consent calendar. There are no speakers. There are no speakers. Okay, so we'll co close public comment on the consent calendar, and Councilmember Hurry Spencer, tell us what item or items you wish to pull. I'd like to register a no vote on 5E. E as in Edward? Yes. Okay. A no vote on 5F as in Frank. Okay. And I'd like to pull uh, 5K. Okay. 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 So, okay. So, um, uh, would um, the maker and seconder of the motion be willing to modify that motion to a motion to approve balance of the consent calendar? All everything. I'm noting the two no votes by Councilmember Hurray Spencer on um, items E. Edward F. Frank, and um, accepting um, item 5K, which has been pulled. So move approval of that balance. Yeah. Okay, and move approval of the second. Okay, with that, may I have um, a, a voice vote? All those in favor of approving the balance of the consent calendar is noted. Please signify by stating aye. 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 
Okay, that's unanimous. Any opposition, any uh, abstentions? I didn't think so. Okay, so now Councilmember Herrera Spencer, you've pulled item 5K. Do you have a question? Uh, I just wanted to, um, in regards to the staff's report, it said that there was, um, that the uh, new vehicles that would be purchased are more fuel efficient. Uh, and I wanted to, I had asked staff about this in advance and I think it's important to get the clarification uh, on the record in regards to that. Okay, about how the, um, the vehicles are more, are, are more fuel efficient? Correct, it's sure. my understanding that the, um, they're actually more fuel efficient than what we currently have, but not uh, more fuel efficient than the alternative, which is the hybrid, but it's not available. And I just wanted to give, um, just I'm wanted not to sure verify who, who that. was going to uh, clarify that. Yep. And sure. I think we have our public works director. Jenny remotely? Oh, no. Is Carlo on there? She's here. Oh, no, it's working. I was afraid her Zoom might not have been updated, but it's, it was just slow. <laughs> She's, okay. it's just oh, slow. you know, there she was a Zoom update. Did, yes. we, did you want to remind people? Everybody um, at home or participating remotely, please make sure you're running the most current version of Zoom or else we won't be able to hear you or uh, you won't be able to speak. Thank you. And it takes a little while to get started. <laughs> it took me twice. Um, so do we have um, Carlo Balboni, our fleet supervisor, joining? Is I think just it's happened? just the public works director who's oh, hi. here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank I, you. That's, I recognize. <laughs> that you. is Aaron Smith, our um, public works director. Good evening. Um, so Good evening, Mayor. You probably heard that the, um, the council member, council member Harry Spencer, there you, um, oh, there you are under my other screen. Um, do you want to just give us an update about the um, uh, the the vehicles that were selected and and um, why we're getting these at this time? Uh, happy to. So again, uh, good evening, Mayor, um, members of Council, Aaron Smith, Public Works Director. Um, thank you for the question, um, Councilmember Spencer. The the vehicles that we're purchasing, and I think. Um, council and the public maybe can surmise from our past staff reports. It's very difficult to get vehicles right now, uh, particularly the police patrol vehicles. So um, we've had purchase orders unfulfilled or those that need to come back for a rate increase. We have the opportunity for these seven vehicles that came available. They are what is called EcoBoost. It's a type of an engine. Um, that is not, um, gets less mile, mileage per gallon than the hybrids, uh, which we began purchasing in um, 2020. Uh, we've not been able to purchase uh, hybrids given their availability, but these EcoBoosts are more, they're about as fuel efficient as the new gas vehicles. Um, they're just, it's a, it's a smaller engine size. Um, so it, we're able to call it more fuel efficient. And quite frankly, we're purchasing them because we can. Uh, these vehicles turn over every four to five years, and we will continue to monitor the market for hybrids and electrics. And, and I believe you also said in the staff report down there just before alternatives that staff recommends authorization of this purchase given the age and reduced reliability of the vehicles to be replaced. Is correct? That's correct. Many of the vehicles that these seven are replacing are well past or past their useful life. And, You'll see as soon as we can get availability for the 2024 models, we'll be coming back to purchase at least another 10 police vehicles in the coming fiscal year. 
Thank you. Councilmember Spencer? I was actually looking for the miles per gallon, and it's my understanding from uh, what you had provided in an email, but not in the report, uh, that uh, these vehicles would get an overall 19 miles per gallon, that we, the current vehicles get 17 miles per gallon, but that a hybrid would get, um, what was it, 24 miles per gallon combined. So I just wanted to, since the staff report only said, um, let me get the language, what it said. It was like more fuel efficient, but it didn't have the numbers of the miles per gallon in regards to what the hybrid has versus what we're purchasing versus what we currently have. I think it's important for the community to understand it's only slightly higher than what we currently have, as in two miles per gallon, and it's still very relatively low miles per gallon at uh, uh, 19 miles per gallon overall versus the hybrid of the 24, which unfortunately is not available. But I just wanted to clarify that since that language was used of um, more fuel efficient without any numbers of the miles per gallon, so then you don't know. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. Um, may I have a motion to approve the recommendation to authorize purchase of seven vehicles consistent with the revised vehicle replacement policy in the amounts not to exceed $488,969.67 for um, National so Auto moved. Fleet Group. That was your, okay, Council Member Harris Spencer moves and it's seconded by, second. seconded by Council Member uh, Jensen. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 That passes unanimously. Thank you, Ms. Smith. Good to see you. All right. With that, we close the consent calendar and we move on to item six. This is our um, little um, placeholder magic <laughs> um, space for items that we didn't get to at the last council meeting. I kept staff way up, uh, up way past their bedtime. Apologies again, but now we are going to hear item six. And um, uh, Madam Clerk, I'll ask you to both introduce the item and also explain um, the, the, um, the uh, mechanics of how we yes. are going to address this. Great. Thank um, you. So uh, it's a recommendation authorize the city manager to execute an agreement with USO Inc. to serve as the financial partner for the city of Alameda guaranteed basic income pilot program Rise Up Alameda in an amount of $2,987.50 for disbursement services and pass-through funds of $3.6 million to be used for direct payments to program participants for a total of 3.6 million with funding from American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 funds. And since this item was continued from the consent calendar on June 20th, um, that means any speakers would have uh, two minutes to speak and the council will have five minutes and any edits to that, uh, you know, would be uh, require four votes to approve. All right. And we have two remote speakers so far. Okay, well, but let's get started with the, um, the staff. Yeah, yes. the presentation. Staff, don't be shy. Come on up. <laughs> this is your chance to get to bed on time. Come on up, Mr. <laughs> Toma. <laughs> I have one question of clarification. Of Does course. That mean that I and get... go ahead and raise that um, mic. Yeah. yeah. And, and the question? Yeah. Do I get five minutes or ten, 10 minutes? Ten. The presentation. You're, a, you're the <laughs> yeah. You're the presenter. It yeah. won't take all ten, but I yeah. appreciate it. Right. Well, welcome and go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, 
Well, good evening, Madam Mayor and members of the City Council. My name is Walker Toma, and I'm a development manager with the Base Reuse and Economic Development Department. I was with the Community Development Department last City Council meeting, but I'm in a new department now. <laughs> this is the new Walker Toma. <laughs> and I will be making tonight's presentation. Right. Uh, tonight I will cover background on City Council decisions regarding guaranteed income, the, in, the guaranteed income pilot program, um, as well as approvals that City Council made. I will then provide a summary of the agreement we are recommending for approval this evening. I want to note that there was an arithmetic error. A couple places in the staff report, for that I sincerely apologize. Uh, the agreement amount should total $3,602,987.50 not $3,602,927.50, so I apologize for that. I think it has been rectified on the online version, but the initial one was uh, had a couple errors. Okay, in May of 2022, Council directed staff to move forward with the development of a guaranteed income pilot program focusing on low-income Alameda residents that would provide $1,000 per month to approximately 150 households over a two-year period and approve the allocation of $4.6 million in uh, American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, or ARPA dollars, 3.6 million of which would be used for direct cash payments to program participants. In November of 2022, following a competitive bidding process, Council approved contracts for two program partners. That was Operation Dignity and APT Associates. Tonight, a third program partner, Uzio Incorporated, is being recommended for council approval to serve as the financial partner for the program. And guaranteed income is a type of program that differs from existing public benefit programs in a couple significant ways. First, it provides flexible, flexible monthly cash payment directly to recipients to use as they see fit, whether that be to cover housing, childcare, food, or other household expenses. Secondly, it provides regular, predictable payments over time. Together, these program elements enable certain benefits for the recipients. Guaranteed income increases economic stability. It enables long-term financial planning. It reduces income volatility or month-to-month -month income fluctuations. It helps individuals meet unanticipated expenses without having to go into substantial debt. Research has shown that recipients demonstrate increased self-determination and agency and a greater capacity for goal setting. Guaranteed income empowers people to improve their circumstances. Research also indicates that reliable payments allow recipients to pursue full-time employment, as well as increased expenditures on education and training. We also expect to see improved recipient physical and mental well-being and reduced stress and anxiety. As guaranteed income helps individual recipients, it also has sustained benefits for broader social networks, which enhances healthy communities. Research indicates that recipients primarily spend the extra money on groceries, utilities, or other basic needs, greatly benefiting recipient households and immediate networks. Those who work fewer hours largely invest that time in education, job training, or caring for children or other family members. We also anticipate significant positive economic impacts to local businesses. Following RFP process that concluded in August of 2022, the city received six proposals from organizations interested in serving as the financial partner for the program. Organizations were assessed on the ability to serve the unbanked, customer service, experience with cash disbursement, the ability to collaborate with other program partners, their staffing and capacity, adaptability, and their core values. 
Yuzio was best suited for this role. The financial partner's scope of work includes all operational, compliance, and customer service activities necessary to support the prepaid card for the program. The prepaid card will be an Akimbo prepaid MasterCard, which is part of MasterCard's City Possible program. Yuzio is a cloud-based integrated fintech electronic solutions provider, uh, and they have helped implement guaranteed income pilot programs in a number of cities, including Compton, City of Chicago, Phoenix, Denver, and Arlington, Virginia. The agreement with Yuzio would include $2,987.50 for disbursement services, as well as $3.6 million in pass-through funds for payments to program participants. Staff is aware that the administrative costs for this program are significant. This is due primarily to two reasons. First, this is a pilot program. So implementing the program in Alameda for the first time is far more challenging than, for instance, extending an already existing program. Secondly, the research component for this pilot program is extensive. In addition to helping to determine how the program contributes to creating financial stability for its recipients and contributing to the broader anti-poverty policy discourse, a robust research component is required for us to apply for certain benefit exemptions. Over the next few months, we are anticipating securing income exemptions for key benefits, opening the application, randomly selecting program participants, and making the first disbursements. One year into the program, APT, our research program uh, partner, will conduct a 12-month survey. That will be followed by an interim report to council on how the program is progressing. The 24-month pilot would then end in approximately the summer or fall of 2025, and APT would conduct a 24-month survey. A final report would then be presented to council in the spring of 2026. The final report will include an in-depth summary of the data gathered through the 24-month pilot program, which can be used to inform future efforts in the guaranteed income space, be it locally, regionally, statewide, or nationally. The data will also provide immense value in informing a wide variety of other city programs related to, but not limited to, housing quality and affordability, food insecurity, local spending patterns, physical and mental health and well-being, and, in, and community engagement and belonging. Staff recommends that council authorize the city manager to execute an agreement with Usio Incorporated to serve as the financial partner for the city's, city of Alameda's guaranteed income pilot program, or Rise Up Alameda in the amount of $2,987.50 for disbursement services and pass-through funds of $3.6 million to be used for direct payments to program participants for a total of $3,602,987.50 with funding from the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. Thank you. Thank you very much um, for that presentation. So, um, Madam Clerk, I assume we have some public speakers? We do. Um, but before we go to our public speakers, do we have any clarifying questions for Mr. Toma? Okay, well, oh, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you. Thank you, um, uh, Mr. Toma. Um, so, my questions start with the law. Uh, this is not a, my understanding is this is not a public. Uh, lottery that the members of the people that apply will not be able to observe the lottery. Is that correct? And why is it not public when I know charter schools routinely have public drawings for something like this? 
Thank you for that question. Yeah, that is correct. It will not be a public uh, lottery process. The, uh, the lottery process will be conducted by our research partner, uh, Apt Associates, and this is consistent with other guaranteed income pilot programs around the country. Um, and this is largely to protect the individuals who are applying and could be potentially selected for the program, their identities. Okay, but they use numbers, they don't use their names, they assign numbers, so this is a way to keep confidentiality. So yes. why can this group not do that? Why could the, the, the randomly assigned numbers not be presented? Utilized for public? a public lottery. We're talking about $4.6 million for 30 people. Why can't it be a public drawing? Um, I, I think that the, the rationale behind it, so, so in the case of these programs, uh, city staff will not know the names of the participants that are selected. Um, the research partner will assign a, a randomized ID for each of the applicants and will use this, this random lottery. Uh, we'll then send those numbers and those names to our implementing partner uh, to then do these case-by-case -case, uh, onboarding process. But uh, for the protection uh, of the individuals who are involved in this program, uh, their names will not be shared in, in any of these steps. I'm not asking for that. However, I'm going to move on to my next question. In regards to the people that apply, will they know what their number is for the lottery? No. The people that apply will not be given a, a number, if that's, if that's what you're asking. All right. So how does anyone know that their name is actually being uh, submitted to actually be drawn? What oversight is there? Well, they will receive uh, acknowledgement that they have successfully applied to, to the program. But how do they know that their name is being submitted to, to the, a drawing? To the drawing and the, to the random selection? Yes. The, the, the data, the names that are collected by the research partner, it's, it's, a, it's direct access. So this application is being hosted by the research partner on their platform, and those names will automatically go into the eligible uh, applicants will automatically go into a lottery. Is there an independent uh, organization that's overseeing this? No, there is not. All right. Uh, what about, um, my understanding is someone has to be a resident, but there's no definition of residency. Is my understanding, do you have a definition of residency in regards to who can actually apply? Yes, we are, we are basing eligibility for that you have to be an Alameda resident and to prove that you are an Alameda resident uh, and during the onboarding process you will have to provide uh, verification based on uh, where you live, either a utility bill or a cell phone bill um, that ties you and your name to a specific address in Alameda. So um, do you have to like be a resident for three months, one week, uh, one day? Uh, well, in order to have a utility bill, usually it has to go back uh, a number of months. Um, what we're basing this on is uh, what the public library system, for instance, often uses as a verification. Um, so it's, it's that level of... Uh, My understanding is you do not have to have a utility bill to participate. Is there someone that can confirm you have to have a, re a utility bill? I believe, Mr. Chama, did you say there's more than one way to determine residency? Yes, yeah, so a utility bill is kind of the most common way. If you had a cable bill or a cell phone bill, uh, a water, electric bill, those could all be used as a form of verification during the What if you're process. unhoused and you just became unhoused in the city of Alameda yesterday, one day, or two minutes? 
That's an what is the question. definition? We, so for the unhoused community here in Alameda, we are going to work with local organizations, community providers, uh, to make sure that people who are applying, who might not have an address to put down, uh, are, are known individuals in the community. So it sounds like they're, um, okay, so then they can, staff or someone would be exercising their discretion in regards to that determination, is that correct? In the case of a potential unhoused applicant, then there would be some discretion, yes. All right, thank you. In regards to if someone actually wins this, if they're one of the 150 people, um, how long do they have to live in Alameda to continue to receive the funds for the two-year term? The funds are unconditional means that once you are selected, you will receive the funds for the 24-month duration of the program. If you move out of the city, do you get it? Yes. You move out of the state? Yes. Move out of the country? Ostensibly, yes. All right. Um, and uh, I would like to note that there are a number of pilot programs around the country, and the survey data that uh, that we have access to indicates that of the over 1,500 recipients of guaranteed income programs uh, from these various cities, less than 3% uh, have even filed for an address change, which the vast majority are address changes within the jurisdiction. No one uh, so far has moved out of state to, uh, to the knowledge of, of these research partners, um, and certainly no one has moved out of the country. So we do not uh, anticipate there being a lot of movement within the community during the two-year period. All right, I appreciate that. And I also looked at other uh, programs within the state. And m many of them, if not all, have some focus, such as someone that was formerly uh, in the foster system, or single parents, or veterans. Why does ours not have any focus whatsoever? Other than the low income, you mean? Correct. I mean, they all have something like that, Mayor. Yes, well, the, the focus of our program is on low-income Alameda residents, uh, so those earning less than 50% of the area median income. And that was based on direction from the council subcommittee initially, from city council, and, and from staff. So who are the members of the subcommittee? Um, I don't have the list in front of me, but the mayor and former council member Knox White were on that subcommittee. Um, there were other community organizations representatives as well as staff. But correct me, Mayor, if there were others that I do not recall this time. Well, the subcommittee uh, for Brown Act purposes could only be two, and yes, it was former council member John Knox White and myself. And, and we met with you and then I think you and your team met with the other community organizations, as That's I recall. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Right. over the course of this process, we've met with dozens of community organizations as well as other pilot cities uh, from around the country. All right, and did, um, does the city know of any other cities that are doing 1,000 a month for 24 months uh, with the only criteria being low income? I could not find such a program. Uh, not, not to our knowledge. There is not another program in the country that's doing exactly what we are doing. And that's part of the interest in doing so, that we are conducting a unique research program for the first time. We're testing something that is uniquely different than other programs. Okay, and the $4.6 million for the 150 people works out to about $30,600 per person. Does the city have any other programs where we use city funds, taxpayer dollars? 
uh, for hundred uh, to give one person thirty thousand dollars. Okay, I, I am going to interrupt here for clarification because I don't want to mislead the public. The staff report indicates that's 150 households. So households generally are more than one person. And so we're talking about generations. We're talking about helping generations move out of poverty. We're not talking about individuals. I'm sorry, Mayor. Highlight that, where that the misrepresents. staff report that is found. My understanding is, and you could, I'm happy to clarify a question, cannot one, more than one person uh, in a household apply for this and have two people within one household receive this? Uh, first, I want to clarify your, your previous comment. That it's $3.6 million in the pass-through funds that will be the direct payments to the recipients. It's 4.6 is the total allocation approved by council. The 4.6 is the total amount from the ARPA funds, correct? That's correct. So that is money f from the taxpayer dollars that could be spent on other things, correct? Absolutely. All right, so let's get back to my question, though. My understanding is more than one person from a household uh, could uh, uh, apply and win. So you could have more than one person in one household receiving uh, these uh, the, the amount of money. More than one eligible adult can apply from a given household, yes. There will be this lottery process, and so the chances of two individuals from the same household being selected uh, is is minuscule. But it could happen, correct? It, it could happen. If so, that's something that council would like us to direct us to change that policy, we are certainly open to that. All right, that completes my questions at this time. Thank you. Thank you. Um, any other clarifying questions at this time? Uh, and, I, I, oh, Councilmember Vela, sorry, looking the wrong way. Uh, just a couple uh, clarifying questions. Um, what would occur in the event that uh, one of the recipients passed away during the two-year period? That's a good question, and not something that's come up in a lot of pilot programs, but something that we are trying to plan for. Um, the, the, the policy that we are proposing would be that a, another eligible adult in the same household as the recipient would be identified, and that that person would continue to receive the benefits for the duration of the program. If there is not another eligible adult, that uh, we would propose that a, a new lottery selection would uh, be identified and, and that new uh, recipient would receive the funds for the duration of the program. And then could you speak a little bit about the tax implications of this as well and, and how this interacts with um, other public benefits and yes. eligibility for that? Thank you for that question. It's, uh, it's certainly not a simple uh, context or environment that we are operating in. So the, the disbursements will be categorized as gift income. So they, they will be considered a gift by the IRS. However, there are a number of public benefits that uh, potential applicants may currently be receiving um, that could be affected by this. So something that uh, my colleague and I have been working on quite a bit over the last several months is applying for uh, income exemptions for certain key programs. And so there's a process with the state that we have applied for uh, that we are still waiting for the resolution of that would uh, exempt income from CalFresh and CalWORKS which are two very uh, popular programs with low-income Alamedans. Uh, and then the other uh, income exemption that we applied for and since our last council meeting have uh, gained approval for, which we're very excited for, is uh, working with the Alameda Housing Authority through the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Uh, we have received an income exemption for the vast majority of housing choice vouchers. 
Um, it doesn't cover every single one, and it's complicated, but we were assured that about 95% of recipients of Housing Choice vouchers will be covered under that waiver. Thank you. Um, my final question is, and, and you had touched on this before, some examples of uh, proof of residency, and that could include a driver's license or voter registration. The, the, the proof of identification, so mm -hmm. we'll, we'll need to prove address, so we, we're looking to tie an individual's name to their address. And so um, from our policy, our proposed policy is to use a, a bill, a utility bill that is tied to a specific address. Um, other programs have found that this is quite successful, um, uh, but we are open to suggestions from council if there are other policy recommendations you have for us. Thank you. Thank you, and Councilmember Jensen. Um, to follow up a little bit on Councilmember Vela's question about um, other benefits, can you, um, and you've answered my question, but I wanna clarify this for, for others too, that, that you will be providing benefits counseling to people who are, who are um, selected in order to ensure that they don't lose other potential um, supportive benefits? Absolutely, thank you for that question. So. We are anticipating that there will be, uh, through Operation Dignity, which is our implementing partner, uh, we'll be hiring two benefits counselors uh, who are individuals who know the benefit landscape well in, in the Bay Area, in Alameda County specifically, and each applicant, uh, or during the onboarding process, would be provided a one-on-one -on -one session with this benefits counselor to understand how their specific circumstance might be affected. Uh, so that you know, everyone who is going into the program or choosing to enroll in the program is doing so with their eyes wide open. Uh, in addition, we have set aside $50,000 for uh, what we're referring to as a benefit conservation fund, which has been used in a few other pilot programs, such as the Stockton pilot. And, and that is to, if there are any unexpected uh, losses of benefits. So uh, after going through this benefits counseling and understanding their situation, if there's something that comes up that is unexpected for everyone, uh, that there would be a process that the enrolled uh, participants could apply for uh, some funds to help make them whole. Um, and we would obviously help to hope to rectify that, that situation if it was a mistake or something like that. That's very helpful. And uh, you know, as I mentioned, I I'm concerned about older adults who might be selected, especially veterans and seniors who might have um, healthcare or other benefits that would be, that are income based. And so um, I appreciate that there will, the fund and also specifically the benefits counseling. I think that's really imperative. Um, my, my other question is about the oversight. So this is the, most of the, the, the grant funding is a pass through to this, to the organization that you're recommending that we approve tonight. and. How will you be uh, overseeing those transactions, or to what extent do, does the city oversee the transactions, and how are we going to be um, confident that this, I know that this provider that is being recommended has done this work in the past, but um, just to ensure the potential, to uh, reduce the potential for cost overruns or uh, need for contract amendments especially, but also just the fact that this is quite a, a large amount of funds that are being passed through this organization to, to recipients. Absolutely, no, it's a, it's a really good question. So we are proposing that the, the, the full amount of the pass-through funds would be, uh, would be made uh, through eight different unique, uh, eight 
equal $450,000 payments, so kind of quarterly payments. Um, this was decided upon to, to try to balance the you know, efficacy of you know, making these payments, which is you know, we talked to finance and didn't want to you know, do, do it every month or every two weeks, um, but at the same time wanted to ensure that we weren't just providing a lump sum to the provider. Um, in terms of ongoing you know, oversight and transparency, we will have full access to the platform that, that Uzio has created for, for this so that we can, we can watch not only uh, when the payments go out to make sure that they go out on the day that we're anticipating, um, but then we'll get to see how the funds are, are spent. Um, so, so there's a lot of transparency as to where the funds are coming and going uh, through software that's provided well, as part of this. Well, the recipients have a way to contact the city or contract city contract managers if they if there's any either fiscal or um, program discrepancies. Yeah, the, the point of contact is so there's uh, the point person for the program is uh, the project coordinator for program coordinator. My apologies for Operation Dignity, and oh, great. so she will be the one that meets with every every participant uh, on these you know one-on-one -on -one, uh, conversations with the. When they, when they meet the benefits counselors, for instance. Um, and so they will have that contact and that face and that person that they can go to directly. They will also have access to Uzio's uh, customer service, which is provided in uh, like 150 languages and 24 hours a day and seven days a week. Um, it's a large financial conglomerate, so. Um, and finally, I have a question for the city manager. Since um, I was not here at part of the council when this program was approved and adopted, and I, I do appreciate the work that's been done, and um, I, I'm supportive of it in general. Can you just talk, um, this is a large amount of money, can you just, um, just advise or, or share information about how the ARPA funds um, have been dedicated for this use and what the, the potential or no potential for any other usage of these funds? Sure. I mean, there's um, the funds, some of the funds were used for the city's fiscal recovery. Um, and then there were a number of other programs, and I don't have it right in front of me, but that were also, this was used for. Um, it is, obviously, it's a, you know, it's a good amount of money, but I think, you know, and there's other things we could spend it on, but this is a program that um, we believe is um, a great program, anti-poverty program, helps support our residents, but also I think what we find really a couple things that are really exciting is that we're there's the potential with our data and research to support something more nationalized. So there might be a federal program that ultimately takes this over. So us investing up front in some of the smaller pool might have a, a much bigger impact on being able to nationalize a program like this and then um, and have longer term impacts on our residents. And then also the data, which you know it's not cheap to evaluate and go through the research process, but that data that we get about what what kind of life changes people made based on this type of um, support will probably help our housing programs, our home, our um, you know, our homelessness programs, and our we might even update our homelessness uh, reduction plan based on what we find here because we might learn some things about how we could be, and that might allow us to have more precise programs that maybe don't cost quite as much. And so we do think the data too will have really far-reaching impacts and benefits to um, our other social services programs in the city. Thank you, and thank you, um, Mr. Talmud, for all your work on this. Thank you. Okay, if we don't have any other clarifying questions from council at this time, let's hear from our public speakers. We have another um, clarifying question from Councilmember Harris-Spencer. 
Thank you, Mayor. I want to follow up on uh, Member Jensen's comment in regards to the other things that this money could be spent on. Could not this all $4.6 million uh, be transferred to the general fund and used just for whatever uh, the city wants? Uh, you know, I don't have the number. It's not all, not all of it could. There was a certain amount based on formula that could be provided to the city for its general fund. Um, I don't have that. I can try to look at it while you continue, but I think it, I do have that information from the finance director, but it wouldn't have been all of it that we would have been able to use for the general fund. But certainly there are other social services, other programs. I mean, we, we know there's more need than we have funds for, but we do think investing in this program is a, makes, makes sense. Such as working on the veterans building? Sure. We, we could all, there's a lot of different needs that we have that are unfunded in the city. Uh, thank you. I, I'll save my comments for when we discuss this um, regarding veterans and how they might benefit from this. So I don't see any other hands at this time. I do believe we have some public comment. Yes. How many speakers do we have, Madam Clerk? Um, we have six so far. It, but like I said, they'll receive two minutes because this was a consent item. Um, the first is Ashley Gregory. And this is a remote speaker? Yes, they're all remote. All Nobody remote. Okay. Person. Welcome, Speaker Gregory. Oops. I think I promoted two people somehow. Oh, okay. Uh, or maybe and she happened to disappear right Everyone's the done their Zoom update. Hmm. hmm. I think that person... Oh, wait. No, here it is again. Let me try again. There we go. Sorry, hello. Welcome, no worries, oh, hi. Thank you so much. Okay, hello Madam Mayor and Council Members. Um, I'm joining tonight to express my sincere and enthusiastic support for the Rise Up Alameda program. One of the stated goals of this program is to reduce economic instability for participants. Unsurprisingly, reduced, reducing economic instability leads to increased positive outcomes of health and well-being. Most critically, improved quality of life for those taking part in the program, and notably the entire surrounding community. That means all of us. Addressing our community's needs means a real investment in the currency of our time and money with no strings attached. I believe investing in care. I believe that investing in care keeps us all safe, and I believe that investing in people reflects a compassionate and courageous paradigm that moves our society away from fear, punishment, and shame, and towards a world where we know the truth of everyone's innate worthiness. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Marilyn Rothman. Welcome, Speaker Rothman. Uh, hello, uh, Mayor and City Council members. I, I really feel that this investment in anti-poverty is the future of our country and of course as we Alamedans. While this money could be spent in other ways, that's not the point of this. The point of this is to invest in low-income Alamedans to support their stability after the last several years from which there has not been close to any kind of recovery. And if people's standard of living is raised, crime could even begin to be less of a problem. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Jennifer Rakowski. Welcome, Speaker Rakowski. 
Porque... I want to speak in strong support of this Rise Up Alameda program and appreciate um, City Council's leadership and staff's um, getting into the nitty-gritty to choose some really stellar partners to have a local program that has national promise. Um, the ability to um, choose that you have a health care crisis this month and then you have a child care crisis next month and to be able to pivot the money to where you need it most is so key and fundamental to building that financial security. Um, we know and the White House is leading on um, initiatives to reduce the administrative burdens that fall heaviest on those who can least afford them. This will invest in our community, it will invest dollars locally, and even though this upfront research costs, actually this type <laughs> of program has incredible long-term benefits for reducing and streamlining bureaucracy and saving government investments in the future. So this is the third contract to approve. You've made smart decisions, continue on this path, and thank you for your leadership. Thank you. Our next speaker. Gary Walters. Welcome, Speaker Walters. Oops, sorry, I clicked him. Hello, can you hear me okay? We sure can, hi. Hi, I'm Gary Walters, a uh, longtime resident, born actually on Thanksgiving 50 years ago. Been here my whole life, pretty much. Um, uh, working on my 27th year of civil service. I actually attended for the golf stuff, but I stayed and stuck around. I actually want to speak against the randomness of this program, though I do support it. Um, I, I would like to see our tax dollars uh, support you know, long-term residents, and I don't necessarily believe a lottery would do that. I would like it to be vetted, check maybe their Texas, uh, whether or not they attended schools here in Alameda, whether they're offspring of native Alamedians who have received other benefits. I think there's a little bit more than just the randomness that would uh, be beneficial for the people who have been in this community supporting it for a long time. Earlier, uh, I heard somebody speak about uh, if they moved out, and I appreciate you know, all your comments, Patricia, or Council Member Herrera Spencer, other council members and staff, I appreciate uh, you looking out and your, your diligence and fiduciary duty and looking out for how our tax dollars are spent. But, you know, if people are gonna move out, they're not gonna check in and tell us. I'd like to see some kind of check-in program, whether, you know, timeliness of it could be determined, but that they, uh, you know, personal visit in person, showing that they're in the community, spending the money in the community. Um, low income and, uh, the renters, you know, they're the, they're basically hand in hand. I see this. I heard a thirty thousand dollar value. I mean, that's your rent for a whole year. And if you could provide a home for these individuals or families, then that would kind of free up the the dollars that they so call as a living wage, that they could uh, live and you know prosper and and be you know live the American dream, if you will. So um, I know I'm running out of town. I was not prepared for this. But it would also provide us, you know, attack to the uh, landlord to make sure that they're declaring the residents. Thank residence you. Your time is up, and our next speaker is August Zajonik. 
Welcome, Speaker Jones. Is it Jonet? You'll tell us. I'm happy to go by August. Thank you. Okay, welcome, Speaker August. Sure, great. Um, I've, I've heard a lot of nice things here. Uh, sounds like the staff have paid attention to this. Um, just even in describing the tax treatment on disbursement, which is actually a little bit of a tricky corner in terms of reporting 1099 or not, uh, W-2 or not. Um, one comment just briefly on oversight. Um, anytime you have a sort of free money program, there are some risks. We know that uh, state unemployment overseas, uh, there's some larger programs. So it sounded like there was an in-person element to this where the beneficiaries would meet in person. That's a huge fraud control, a huge reduction of risk versus online only programs. So if that's the case, thumbs up to that. Um, payment methods also play a role. I wasn't quite clear if it was a debit card or paid to the bank account, or maybe it's a choice. Um, but that step of trans, you know, <clears throat> collecting that information or giving the debit card information out is often a key point of control. In other words, if there was a no-show to a benefit counseling and somebody says, oh, they showed and they just pocket those debit card numbers, it can be a little bit tricky to trace that stuff. Um, and it sounded like there's been some thought there, but I would look to a complaint line to the city. It sounded like that was one comment as an option. And also just paying attention to the point of control on, on the disbursement method. Um, these programs, I think, benefit from the KISS principle, keep it simple. Um, I think that's part of the idea, as I understand it. I did not call in to speak to this. Um, but yeah, so I think that's maybe something to keep in mind as the program design continues. That's it, thanks. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Jim Stralow. Welcome, Speaker Stralow. Good evening. Unconditional use of the money, no strings attached, means it can be spent on drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, firearms, etc. Public funds should be tied to rent, food, etc. Basic needs. Providing them with housing, maybe I could tolerate that. 30K for a household is noticeable. Huh? Neighbors or relatives are bound to notice change of behavior. It could make the recipients targets of extortion or violence. They would be safer to move than remain where they currently live. Potential recipients should receive their random numbers so that a public lottery could then, they could see whether or not their random numbers were chosen. I dislike the private lottery aspect. I hate this whole program, but so be it. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Bennett Schatz. Welcome, Speaker Schatz. Hi. Uh, thank you, Mayor and Council members. Can you hear me? We can. Hi. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for uh, speaking on this. Um, like others, I actually came to this meeting to talk to talk on a different subject, but I just wanted to voice my support for this. I'm a super broad supporter of... Uh, Basic income programs, I think they're a great way to help lift up the people who are living in poverty and extreme poverty. I think a lot of us, um, myself included, don't necessarily know what it means to live uh, in poverty and that um, you know, you're know you basically living on the brink and the difference that $1,000 a month can make in somebody's lives to let them have a breath of fresh air, to help them pursue things that they might not be able to, to provide a basic cushion. Um, and yeah, I just want to support this. Like I said, you know, something like this and the fact that we're considering it makes me proud to live in Alameda. Um, and I would just encourage all the council members to exercise empathy and try to think about people in positions other than their own. Um, I also want to support a lack of means testing. I think means tested programs have a way of increase, increasing bureaucratic uh, 
oversight and causing things to slow down and reduce the effectiveness of it you know the kiss is a good one right keep it simple stupid um i think that yeah i don't have uh, much else to say but i do want to support this and i thank you for your time thank you our next speaker paul bisterian welcome speaker bisterian hi everyone uh yeah, I, I, I agree with many of the sentiments and, and agree that we need to find ways to help our lower income people in the Alameda. Uh, I, I don't really support this program, though, because we have thousands of low income people in Alameda, and this is the program just supporting a few hundred. And I'd, I'd much rather see us use our city funds to support, really support, not just to have a few people highlighted that it'll be great for. But we have a lot of other people that need help as well. And city funds should be used to help the whole city, not just the select few. Thanks. Thank you. Our next speaker. That was our final speaker. All right. With that, we will close public comment on this item. And I see Councilmember Vela's hand up, so I will call on her first. Um, so I, I want to start by expressing appreciation to staff and uh, community and, and interest holders uh, who participated in in the tremendous amount of work uh, that has gone into this. And, and this is something that I think um, anyone can see from the presentation, uh, a lot of thought has gone into. Um, it, I do think that uh, we are trying to walk a fine line of making, it, making sure that it is simple enough uh, and accessible enough that those in greatest need can apply and access the program. Uh, I also want to stay away from over-regulating uh, what should be a, a transformative uh, social supportive program. Um, oftentimes, we spend a lot of resources on unnecessary bureaucratic measures um, that, in fact, um, are kind of looking for something that doesn't exist and uh, assuming uh, the worst in people, that people um, are going to try to essentially steal from those who are in deep need. Um, I also want to avoid a situation where we're looking into nativism or residential requirements. Um, I live in a home and am fortunate enough to own a home that I am would have been deed restricted from owning because I am not Caucasian fully Caucasian uh, or white, I think is the, I can't remember the specific terms. Um, we are on native land. We, uh, in many cases, we, we had a number of community members who were forced into internment um, and forced to leave their homes. It's something that we just covered at the Alameda Library. Um, we have a number of community members uh, who have been forced out of, or priced out, or were not eligible. People didn't rent to them because of their race, uh, because of who they loved. Um, we know discrimination exists. And so I think this program is really important. And I think um, these sort of investments where we are investing in um, members of our community uh, is really where we make the difference, where we say we believe in you, we want you to continue to thrive, and we trust that you will be making the best decision for you and your family. And this isn't about saying, oh, you have to spend the money on this and being prescriptive. It's about understanding um, that we, 
that regardless of your income level, you can make responsible decisions for yourself and that you can make decisions about finding joy and bringing joy to you, yourself and your household. And that is as important um, it, uh, as, as, you know, somebody else kind of, I think it's more important, um, in fact, to be able to have the ability to make those decisions and financial decisions um, that many people, frankly, don't have the privilege of being able to have. Um, I will say that I am glad we are thinking about um, finding a way to keep the money in the household in the event that somebody passes away. That's very important to me. Uh, I would like to see that happen. I think it's important to keep it in the household because if it was a planned income for that household, I would hate to pull the rug out from under them and, and take it away. I would also say that um, I wouldn't want to adversely impact a minor or a child. So if um, it's a single family, single parent household, I would want to make an exception and allow for the minor to be the recipient in that case. Um, so I do think that we should make that change because becoming um, an orphaned uh, or, or foster child, and I would also make uh, find an exemption for uh, minor receiving the funds in the event that their primary guardian who was the recipient is incarcerated for some reason. Um, so I don't want to take, uh, have things that are out of the minor's control um, adversely affect them um, in terms of this program. And then additionally, I think that that's why we shouldn't control or regulate where people move relative to that because there are other things at play. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Council Member Jensen, do you want to go next? So I'll just go down the line. You don't have any further tag. How about you, Vice Mayor Desog? Well, thank you very much. Um, first of all, I want to uh, make sure to thank staff, uh, city manager um, Jennifer Ott, as well as uh, her staff, uh, Walker Toma, um, in you know, looking into um, programs such as this. Um, I want to always encourage our staff to exercise their creativity and to exercise um, their um, you know, research skills as to um, the, the various type of things they want, um, not just the city council to contemplate, but, but the residents of Alameda. So I, I don't wanna um, you know, hold you back from, from uh, the ideas that you have um, to bring us, um, you know, bring it to us, let us evaluate it based upon um, our experience, our values, our um, in, in, in many other um, uh, matters. On this particular issue, the concerns that I raised in May of 2022 and November 15th, 2022 um, continue. Um, I, I, I hesitate in um, approving um, a total of $4.5 million um, and parenthesis um, 900,000 of which is overhead and $3.6 million of which is direct um, uh, outlay to um, um, program recipients. I, I really hesitate to approve um, $4.5 million um, on, um, on only 150 households. Um, you know, I think the intent of this program is great. Um, but, but I think, you know, the way that it is unfolding, um, you know, and I can only speak for myself, um, you know, each of us council members and, and 
mayors and former mayors, um, you know, we each bring uh, unique perspectives and, and histories into this, so I don't second guess, you know, how anyone would vote. Um, but but I, I continue, uh, like I did in November 15th, I just continue to hesitate spending a total of $4.5 million on, um, on only 150 households. Um, my estimate is that in the city of Alameda, there's probably maybe um, <clears throat> 12,000, maybe 14,000 low-income households. Um, so it's, it's really difficult for me to, to, um, to uh, support you know, something that's just limited to 150 of those um, households who meet that um, threshold requirement. Um, in my opinion, I mean, I would, uh, and obviously, you know, I know the um, other council members, um, mayors and vice mayor, uh, former mayors, <laughs> former vice mayors, <laughs> um, might feel that, well, you know, you can't, you know, um, make available all of $4.5 million for all of those 17,000 households because you'd end up, you know, people get having, what, whatever the math is, $30 a month. Okay, I, I get that too, that there is, um, that there is a conundrum in that on that end as well, um, but but still I'm I'm I, I'm I'm going to land where I where I was in November of 2022 about you know the allocation of this amount on just um, 150 households. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. But I, I appreciate I really appreciate you know the enthusiasm, the conviction um, uh, that the staff head staff as well as um, uh, our, our um, ground staff bring to this item. And um, so I just want to say thank you very much. Thank you, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I do have another question for staff. I'd asked this question before. How many low-income uh, people that are over 18 live in our city that would be eligible? What's your estimate? That's a good question. and not a simple response. I, I did kind of a crosswalk, so I have I have an estimate. It's about a little over 9,000 households that meet oh, that 9, 50% of uh, AMI threshold, um, if, that's, if that's helpful. All right, but in regards to the individuals, because you can obviously have two individuals per household or more that are, would be eligible. So my question is, how many individuals do does the city estimate would be eligible to apply? So just with the caveat that it's another crosswalk, this is not, uh, you know, census eligible data. The estimate is just over 18,000 eligible adults would meet that 50% uh, of AMI threshold or below that. Thank you. All right. So um, I would encourage the public to look at, there's an article that Cal Matters, C-A-L-M-A-T-T-E-R-S, uh, put out May 2nd, 2023. It's the updated article. It, speaks, it has a part of the article that has like 43 different programs that similar to this, but most of them um, are in fact private monies or public and private. In fact, Stockton was 100% private monies. There are only six cities that have actually done this, um, uh, with, um, and four of them have public monies, two private monies. This is absolutely a very extreme, quote unquote, experiment or pilot program. Um, my preference is that it absolutely has to be a public lottery, um, but more importantly, I think we have to spend taxpayer dollars 
highest and best use, 150 people getting 30,000 out of 18,000 people that are eligible, I think is completely not appropriate expenditure of city taxpayer dollars. And I would have preferred this money go to filling up the hole in the city's budget uh, that we lost from COVID and that we would then uh, spread across to many people. And anyone that suggests that we don't have empathy, I absolutely have empathy. I am Mexican-American. I was on food stamps as a child. I understand it. But my job is the to take care is of up. everyone. Thank you, Councilmember Harris-Spencer. So now I'll go next. Oh, I have, I, I'm sorry. Oh, you're going to speak. Go ahead. Thank you. If you, I can go after you if you want. No, the mayor goes last. I called on you before, but I didn't realize you wanted to speak afterwards. I now understand. Thank you. I, um, I just wanted to point out, I understand the concerns of my colleagues regarding the amount of the stipends. I appreciate staff's input, especially regarding the benefit counseling that will be provided. And um, to the question that was not completely answered, I, it's my understanding that the ARPA funds can be used for this program and for some social programs, but not completely be used for capital expenses or other general purpose fund expenses. So um, I, I do also agree that, that we have to look at the administrative expenses and the total cost of the program and the lack of restrictions. It's important that issue that has been raised about restrictions on both the spending of the funds and the residents of the grantees. Having said that, it, Stanford has done extensive research on guaranteed basic income programs, and more recently UCSF looked at the homeless population here in the Bay Area and found that a guaranteed income of as little as $300, but even more income can bring people back into housing. It's one of the best ways to to subsidize and provide income to very low income persons who are in need of housing and to help them to to get out of homelessness and and become housed. So last year's Bloomberg article that that rounded up the information from the Stanford study found that in more than 20 US cities that have launched a guaranteed basic income program, cities like with programs like the ones that we're going to approve tonight. The average person receiving the monthly support is a woman who makes just enough money to put her over the federal poverty line. Most of the beneficiaries in, in most of these programs are single. Many of them have children or they're head of household, and most were people of color. Up to $1,000 a month for one year or two years is enough to change people's lives. And most of these people in these studies, not just the UCSF study, but the Stanford study and other random data collection shows that the largest share of this money is being sent at supermarkets for food and at, at retailers for the basics like diapers and, and things that, that cost money that people don't have. So I'm going to support this knowing that it is going to be a, a program that will provide us with data. It is going to be something that Alameda will use, our city manager and her staff will use to support the underserved and um, unfortunately low and very low income residents of Alameda in the future. And knowing that these funds are most likely, the bulk of these funds will be spent on the basic daily needs of the recipient. Thank you, Councilmember Jensen. And I will um, segue into my comments that actually tail um, 
uh, dovetail with yours because you referenced the recent um, Benioff UCSF um, Homelessness and Housing Initiative study. I have it here in a binder. It's 96 pages. I haven't gotten through the whole thing. Our city manager, Jen Ott, provided us with the link. I have read the, um, the executive summary and some of the study because my newspaper article that will come out later this week is about Alameda's response to homelessness. And as my colleague, um, council member Jensen, noted, of the over 3,600 homeless individuals who were surveyed around the state, including the Bay Area, but they looked at um, these, and, and these were one-on-one -on -one studies in um, over 365 cases, but they surveyed people in eight distinct regions of the state because California has homelessness all around the state, and they found from these interviews that participants firmly believe that a, a subsidy, a rental subsidy of between $300 and $500 a month would have kept them from sliding into homelessness. And we know, those of us who have worked in this space know, that it's far more economical and also humane and dignified to keep people from becoming housing insecure, to keep people from becoming homeless, than it is to work to lift people out of homelessness. I'm proud to say that in this city we're doing that too, and that's one of the things I highlight in my article, um, things as recent as our um, Dignity Village uh, transitional housing that was opened in May. And so this is our opportunity yet again for Alameda to do these kinds of things, to address anti-poverty, to do it here. And I should add that in this study that I hope you all will read, there are six policy recommendations. We're already doing many of them. This is another opportunity. For those who say that, well, this isn't enough, we're only helping 150 households, households, not just individuals, so we shouldn't do anything. I'm sorry, I, I reject that argument. This is a pilot program because it is meant to spur these programs on at other levels in other cities and other states and eventually to get the federal government involved because they're also working in like housing and urban development to solve the problem of homelessness, but we all have to do our part. The reason it's appropriate to use ARPA funds is you will remember that ARPA funds were intended to help cities and also individuals who were impacted by COVID-19. We know that not everyone was impacted equally. The playing field was not level, it still isn't. People of color, people of low incomes, single parents, they were impacted the strongest. They're the ones who have a chance of being in this lottery, of being selected. And by what I am confident will be the success of this program, to help other funds for similar programs help more people out. And so um, I also say this often. We hear people complain about the problem and we hear them complain about the solution, and we're not gonna solve our problems if we don't do more than complain. And so this is something that is entirely appropriate. I think that it's well thought out, and I would, um, I do commend staff, um, Walker Toma, Eric Fonstein, it was a pleasure to work with you to read through all the materials. This is, it may be cutting edge for the city of Alameda, not for, not for the nation, and certainly in other countries. So I am so proud to support this um, program today, and let me, just asked, does staff, do we have enough direction? Actually, I'm not sure we, we had, city manager, you want to just jump in and tell me what, what, if anything, you need before we take our vote? Yeah, I mean, I think the vote, 
will be for the contract. Mm -hmm. I think we heard some other comments here that were more informal. If you'd like to include them in the motion, I think Councilmember Vela talked about uh, making sure that our policy does not, um, that if there is a death in the family that we are in, or incarceration, that we're find a way to try to keep the money with the child. Um, and so we, we took that direction. We will be happy to, to incorporate that into the program. Is that? Yeah, I think I, I, that would make me feel much better because, yeah, there's a, a child faces many situ, uh, many challenges when they fall into something like that. And the former probation officer in me says often that children don't get to choose the family they're born into. Some win the lottery, some sure don't. So we want to just level the playing field. All right, with that, I'm looking for a motion. I would like to move approval, Madam Mayor, of this item um, with the direction uh, that was given by uh, myself and colleagues. Do I have a second? Second. Councilmember Jensen seconds. Motion made by Councilmember Vela, seconded by Councilmember Jensen. All those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 All those opposed? No. no. All right, that motion passes three to two. Thank you so much, everyone. A huge thanks to staff, and we're getting you out more on time, but it was, it was very well done, and we appreciate the time and effort, and also the life-changing implications this program is gonna have. Thank you so much. Okay, council, it's getting close to our two-hour limit, so I'm gonna take our break now, and then we'll come back, and we'll launch into the, um, the regular agenda rather than giving us a break right at nine o'clock, probably in the middle of the next item. So it is um, 8.39, let's come back at 8.50, 8.50, okay? Thank you.
All right, everybody, could we make our way back to our seats, please? All right, staff, are we ready? We are. All right, so um, Madam Clerk, would you introduce the next item for us, please? Yes, 7B is a recommendation to consider providing direction for the commercial streets program to improve the Park Street and Webster Street striping plans, extend the on-street parklet program, and maintain the Alameda Avenue street closure. All right, um, well, surely there's a staff member who'd like to present. Yes, yes, I'm going to promote. It's actually uh, oh, on Robert Vance. Yes, oh, okay. so I am getting him. Hopefully, just slow, but it's happening. And he's updated his Zoom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think he did. Yeah. Oh, good evening, Madam Mayor. Good evening. Do I see him? No, I hear him. Oh, I'll I'll put it on. Good yeah. evening. How are you? Good. I'm well, thank you. I apologize for not being able to attend tonight in person, but That's I'm. Right. Um, Robert Vance, um, Public Works Deputy Director, and I'm, I'm joined tonight uh, to assist me with um, uh, questions following the presentation. Our consultant from Fair and Piers, Susie Hefstetter, and from Planning, Building, Transportation, Michelle Wheeler. And I'm uh, happy to present tonight on the Park Street and Webster Street Commercial Corridors Restriping proposal and to get your feedback on the future of the Parklet program. Next slide, please. Um, I'd like to start with background leading to the staff recommendation. In, 20, in 2020 and 2021, Park and Webster streets were restriped from a four-lane cross-section uh, to create room for parklets. And the purpose <laughs> of the parklets was both to support our uh, business community during COVID-19 and as part of the city's response to COVID-19 and um, also provide um, outdoor space uh, for the community. Um, so um, the new configuration was uh, one travel lane in each direction with left turn lanes at key intersections. Um, parklets uh, space was created along the curb line uh, with parking, um, a parking lane located between the parklet and the travel lanes. In November of 2021, uh, City Council extended the program to uh, for two years and that uh, included um, adoption of standard plans for concrete parklet barricades um, and uh, also staff updated design guidelines for new and rebuilt parklets and parklet owners signed uh, new agreements. Um, as part of the agreements, they're not required to rebuild, um, but many did. And um, to, as of June, 2023, there are uh, three parklets in the Webster corridor and 19 parklets um, in the Park Street corridor. And there's, so there's a mixture of new, newer and older parklets. Next slide, please. Oh, sorry, can you go back? There's one of um, goals. It, there should be a goal slide after this one. Right, there we go, thank you. Um, so to deliver the commercial streets um, program in a way, I'm sorry. Um, the staff developed the following goals. One is to um, improve the um, aesthetics of the commercial corridors. Um, we also um, 
want to um, implement the council directed concrete barricades around parklets, uh, clarifying uh, parking locations, increase parking compliance, uh, limit double parking, begin implementing the active transportation plan uh, uh, direction for uh, bicycle facilities on the commercial corridors and to prepare for the parklet program to continue um, past November, 2023. Can we go back to slide uh, three, please? just wanted to touch on some of the existing challenges. Um, uh, on, on the left-hand side, we see um, because the parklets were placed along the curb and it wasn't uh, known at the time how many parklets there were, um, and with the location of the, of the parking next to the travel lane, there's currently a lot of unused space along the curb. Um, there's also shown here damage to the bollards, which were intended to keep vehicles away from um, areas where um, parking wasn't allowed. Um, and on the right-hand side, it shows uh, parking next to a parklet. And uh, with the space of the parklet and the, and the barricades creates a really narrow space uh, for parking in some situations. And also because uh, parking is you know, located away from the curb, um, uh, there, there were some challenges with parking compliance uh, with some people confused as to where parking was allowed and where it's not allowed. Okay, uh, next slide, please. Okay, um, so our staff recommendation include the following. Um, based on what we learned over the past two years, uh, staff is recommending to maintain the parklet program with modifications. That would include removing unused parklets entering new agreements uh, that include uh, conformance to design guidelines. Um, uh, we're also recommending maintaining two travel lanes for automobiles and buses, moving the parking lane back to, um, the to be located along the curb. And because there's additional space um, between the travel lane and the um, parking lane, uh, we're recommending adding a strike bicycle lane um, in that area. And finally, we're recommending maintaining the Avenue, uh, Alameda Avenue street closure. Next slide, please. So these images um, that I'm gonna share uh, show some of the um, typical cross sections. So on the top shows the uh, situation where there's a parklet along the curb. So um, there's the, a parklet protected with a concrete barrier. And next to that would be the bicycle lanes um, with a buffer and then the two travel lanes. Um, where there are no parklets, the, um, the parking would be along the curb. And again, um, with an adjacent bicycle lane buffered from traffic, um, and then the two travel lanes. And I just wanted to note here that, you know, this, whether the parklet program continues or not, where parklets move in and move out, um, this striping plan accommodates either condition. And the next slides um, show um, kind of a, a map view or a plan view. So this is a Webster Street example. So two travel lanes, um, parking along the curb, striped bicycle lanes, and uh, you know, mod potentially modifying some of the parklets um, so they're not encroaching in, in, into the bike lane. Um, and then next is a Park Street example. Um, again, two travel lanes with a, with a turn lane where it's needed, uh, parking along the curb, striped bicycle lanes. And um, you know, in the case where the parklets um, fit within the envelope and aren't encroaching the bike lanes. Um, you know, the only modification modifications may be just to the uh, agreement with the city. Uh, next slide, please. 
Um, we have some preliminary numbers on parking changes. Um, these will be nailed down in the final design. But on Webster Street, um, because there are fewer parklets, um, we could recover as many as 13 parking spaces on, par on Webster Street. And on Park Street, um, there's a reduction in parking um, because parking will, would no longer be allowed adjacent to a parklet. Um, that becomes a bike lane instead. So there's more uh, reductions in parking there. Next slide, please. Um, well, we've gathered uh, feedback from the community and did targeted outreach in 2023 to business, the business associations and individual businesses with parklets um, and also uh, discussed the plans with AC Transit. Um, there were mailings um, about the proposed uh, configuration to the transportation list and staff presented these recommendations to the Transportation Commission in May. Um, we have received uh, fee both feedback on both the, the striping changes and the parklet program itself. Um, so uh, Transportation Commission asked us to, to provide more clarity um, as to where parking's allowed or prohibited, use of red curb um, in some areas where, where parking's prohibited, identify um, more areas for ADA and short-term parking, such as loading zones, um, adding more green markings to help guide cyclists, reduce conflicts with, uh, with vehicles. And on the parklet program itself, um, we've heard loud and clear on the need to improve the aesthetics of the corridor, um, um, make sure that parklets are adhering to the design guidelines and maybe um, considering restrictions on the number um, or the location uh, of parklets on certain blocks. Um, and then final slide, please. Um, so our next steps include both uh, data collection, outreach, and evaluation, and physically implementing these changes. Um, staff will work with businesses and parklet owners to address any non-conforming parklets um, and also help them to establish the, the envelope for parklets that need to be modified uh, to fit the new striping configuration. The staff will develop evaluation criteria, criteria and collect uh, pre-project data. And that kind of gets at um, under, you know, under measuring the potential impacts uh, before and after of, um, of, the, of these changes and look, taking a really close look at potential diversions to other corridors, other side streets and parallel routes. Uh, we will be returning to city council to approve agreements um, for the barricades, which are expected to be um, you know, over 200,000. The striping installation may be less than 200,000, so we would not be um, required to return to council for that, but we, we can. Um, uh, and in the fall, we were, are looking at uh, executing new agreements with parklet owners, restriping the streets, placing uh, barricades, and then coming back to collect post-collision data um, early 2024. And with that, I'll take your questions. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Vance, for that. You <laughs> brought that in right on time. Um, so I imagine, I know we have public speakers on this item. And before we go to our public speakers, Council, do you have any clarifying questions of Mr. Vance? OK, let's go to our, yes, Councilmember Jensen. Thank you. I. Um, on the, uh, the top of the last slide, the um, staff is going to work with businesses and parklet owners to address nonconforming parklets. So 
I understand working with businesses. Is there any penalty? Is there any incentive working with the businesses and parkland owners? Um, what does that exactly mean? We're bringing Mr. Vance's uh, okay. video up. <laughs> oh, okay. Give us a second. It's Thanks. Can I go ahead? We don't see you yet. In the oh, oh, there you Sorry. go. Yep. I can see myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's you, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost. Oh, there he is. Just not on our little screens. Yeah, oh, we're okay. trying to get it on the little okay. screens. Hi, hi there. Okay. Hi. Um, so to Councilmember uh, Jensen's question, what's uh, what's the um, what's the motivation for right. getting? So part, part of the outreach is, so the, 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 the area that's available for a parklet is gonna change in some cases. Um, so there are parklets today that are that are more than you know seven or eight feet wide, which would fit within a parking lane. So some of those parklets are going to have to be reduced in size. And so as we're developing the final striping plans, we'll have more information on exactly how much room is available. And then um, so working with the parklet owners means you know helping them understand what the space that's available and how they could modify their space. Um, and then. Um, we, we have been doing regular inspections, so there, there are other parklets that um, may have other outstanding issues that, that really need to be addressed um, if they're gonna continue in the program. So within the agreements, um, the city um, reserves the right to um, require parklet owners to remove parklets if they're not meeting uh, certain criteria. So um, we'd be sending out letters and if um, okay, uh, great. parklets need to be removed. Does that uh, answer your question, a... Councilmember? Did that answer your question? Yeah, I, I was. It does answer my question. Thank you. I. It's not just the parklets. I think there were three parklets that were encroaching. Two or three that were actually encroaching um, on the uh, once the striping is done. But these would also include parklets that were um, designed that didn't meet the design standards that are part of the agreement, the new agreement. That that's what I heard. Um, okay. Yes, for some of them, they were they were not rebuilt to the new guidelines, and so those those would have to be modified. I'm, I'm also like, inviting Planning Director Andrew Thomas to come up. He's in the room, and so oh, I know great. you've been working on this too. So, help out. just to help out, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You're right. Yes, um, but we we wanted to find out tonight whether you supported this basic direction, but we can't restripe the street till we get all those parklets fixed. Um, if the council decided you didn't want to do the parklet program any more, then of course it would be a much different conversation with the with the businesses. And just to be clear, if anyone's in violation and we ask them to change and they don't, then we would revoke their agreement and they'd no longer be able to provide. They'd no, be, no longer be able to have a parklet in the right away. And so we're talking about a new. This will be a new agreement once this is approved by council. Then there will be new agreements with every business that has a parklet. And the agreements are annual, so. Right. At any point, any future year, if the council says, hey, or decides you want to change the program or eliminate the program, um, it's, it's, it's done on, a, on an annual basis. Okay, I just have a couple more clarifying questions. Um, there was a, um, actually, I think, a comment earlier from someone about, um, or maybe it was a public comment that was included in the package about going back to four streets and ha four lanes and having parklets. Is that possible? or? No, it's not possible because they don't, it won't fit. I mean, once you put in the parklet, the barricade, 
it, it, now you don't have enough room for four lanes. So if you want to go back to four lanes, you really have to go back all the way back. No more parklets as well. Thank you. That's what I thought. Thank you. And um, and then the 19 parklets. I'm sorry, oh, Mr. Yeah. Thomas, since you're there, I'm just going to keep. <laughs> sorry, Robert. I don't mean to. <laughs> oh, Robert can answer too. Mr. Vance can answer <laughs> as well. Whoever gets there first, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, if. If um, are all 19 of the Park Street parklets are those all on Park Street or that does those include two, two on Santa Clara and one on um, Pacific, which is actually that's that's right. When we refer to the Park Street parklets, we're really talking about the Park Street Commercial District, which includes those side streets. Thank you. And um, the question that there is going to be a um, $2,400 per year assessment, is that correct, per parklet? That's right. That's to cover the permitting costs, the inspections, those kinds of things. It's sort of the annual staff costs to monitor, keep things working. Is there any information about the loss of parking meter revenue associated with the parklets? Is this sufficient, not sufficient, but is that um, a related revenue? We haven't proposed, I think we talked a little bit about this in the staff report, we, we, we're not proposing that there be a, um, a sort of a rent on top of the permitting costs, um, uh, and we haven't uh, really, um, so because our thoughts were that this is really benefiting not just the individual businesses, but the entire business district, that everybody's, um, the entire business district is benefiting from it. If, if the council wants to institute um, essentially an annual rent on top of the permitting costs, that's certainly within your purview. Um, in terms of the parking revenue lost, um, we, at least in the Park Street District, and primarily in the Park, Park Street District, we have a lot of vacant public parking spaces when you think about the whole district and the parking garage. So it's not, we're not really feeling like we're, um, you know, if every parking space were full all the time, you know, I, we, 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 from our perspective, you could start thinking about, well, wait a second, if that parklet wasn't there, we would get some additional parking revenue. It's not clear to us, when, when we think about it, that we're necessarily losing parking revenue. If somebody wants to park on Park Street or in the Park Street Commercial District, there's, at least today, there's plenty of vacant parking spaces. It may not be right in front of the business you want to go to, but um, there is parking. Um, and so my last question is about the approval of the parklets during the pandemic and also related to approval of potential future parklets. Now, so my, my, the first part of the question is, did, um, were the parklets intended only for restaurants? I know they're not all for restaurants, so it was for any business that wanted to continue. Yeah, when we started the program and council members who are here when we started. I mean, we, we, I mean, we were facing a pandemic. We didn't know what was going on. We, we thought maybe retailers who sold clothes would put their merchandise out there. We had no idea. We just, it was really an idea that the business communities came to us, the city staff, and said, hey, we have this idea. We think we should do it. Our businesses are really nervous about what's happening with the pandemic. And we sort of said, well, that's a great idea. Let's see what happens. As it turns out, as you know, mostly it's been restaurants, but you know, the karate place on Park Street has a twirl on Park Street. So it has, it's not all restaurants, but the main ones are restaurants. So then in the future, and that's my last question, if 
once the restriping is completed and the parklet um, contracts are, are approved or entered into, can there be a new parklet if a business were to open? Yes. Or yes. Close I mean, that's or? that's our that's the sort of the staff proposal that we have an active program. Um, we don't anticipate a huge increase. We kind of think that the businesses who want parklets um, have them, and the ones who don't want them don't have them. But if a new business comes to town um, and says, "Hey, I want a parklet," our our thinking is, why not? As long as they meet the criteria and and who came up and, with the and, park and Andrew, they would need to they would need to fit in the space too. Oh, so of course. Have to, again, we'd yeah. have to make sure that they're um, can be accommodated. Yeah, thank no. you, Mr. Vance. Thank you, Mr. Thomas. Okay. Other clarifying questions, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you, staff, for the presentation and the work. My question is, why hasn't there been a public survey since 2021? Why hasn't there been a public Survey. Survey of the general. Com the, the public at large. Why haven't we been asked since large. 2021 what we think about this? Um, I think we've been, I mean, we've been busy. We've been busy. Um, we, we, our dissents from, what, from talking to the people we do talk to um, is that we should keep the parklet program going um, from staff's perspective based on the information we have gotten over the years. Um, we think the parklet program has been a success. Um, we're not sensing that there's a ton of people who would like us to just shut it down, but um, we have not done a, you know, a statistically significant survey of the Alameda population. Well, I think there was one in 2021, but my question is why haven't we done one since? And I guess your answer is too busy. We haven't. <laughs> no, we like... haven't. No, that's okay. true. We just, we, we, I mean, we're sort of in the position of like, we're coming to you to ask, like, how do you want to move forward at this point? We don't have to restripe the street right now. We could, we could take time to do a survey if you would prefer, and slow things down. Um, we were sort of feeling like pandemics wrapped up, and we wanted to make some decisions. Um, the, particularly, what's a couple things that I think is going on. The, the parking situation is getting very strange out there, um, and the maintenance of the current system of bollards is becoming problematic. Um, so, you know, right off the bat, our sort of a reaction was, didn't seem like there was a strong reason to shut down the parklet program. There do seem to be strong reasons to move the parking back to the curb. Um, and we, um, but if the council wishes, we can certainly do the survey. Okay, my next question is they're called parklets, which for me, a, a park is something the community at large can go use and we don't have to pay to go there. Uh, these parklets, quote unquote parklets, are actually extensions of businesses and they exclude the public at large from going and sitting there unless you buy something from that particular restaurant. So if they're really going to, if and the cost, the, the suggested fee is nominal to cover permits is what you said. They're not really renting the businesses. The few businesses that use these are not renting the space. So the city's not really, uh, that business, that particular business is paying very little uh, for the use, 2400 a year. Uh, why are we not opening them up so that anyone can buy food from any restaurant or bring their own lunch and sit there uh, on on our streets. 
Did, did you want to talk about Alameda Avenue and the Healing Garden in your response, perhaps? I'm sorry, that's another question. I'd like to have my question answered first, please. I think, I think, it's, I think we have to do a better job of, of enforcing it. it is, it's the use of public space. Um, and so that's something else we can, I think we can improve on. Um, this is public space, and they shouldn't be, people shouldn't be prohibited from the public from using those, um, those spaces. So that would be a significant change because they are limited currently, so I want to make sure that that's actually the direction that staff is proposing, that the quote-unquote parklets would in fact be public space. If I may, Mayor, the, we, we have had conversations with the city attorney's office, and it, I think technically we can't exclude the public. We'll, we are going to make sure that's clear in our agreements going forward. Um, obviously, the business is getting the permit and going to be running their business with some of that, but, but they can't exclude the public if someone wanted to sit there. Um, and then I'd just like to comment on the, the fee. I think we feel like if we were on Central Avenue where we have a much wider sidewalk, what we're charging the Park Street businesses for their parklet is similar to what we would charge someone with a large sidewalk to do sidewalk dining. Um, and so we, we do feel like what we're doing is consistent. We're obviously using a different part of the right-of-way, which is the parking lane and not the sidewalk, but we think it does add to the vibrancy of the overall district by having outdoor seating, and we're not doing anything different from a fee standpoint than we would do on another part of the commercial district that has larger sidewalks. Um, so we do think it's consistent in terms of um, how we're dealing with other encroachments into our right-of-way. But I, okay, so I want to confirm that moving forward, it is in fact staff would be requiring every quote unquote parklet to be open to the public at large, period. They don't have to buy anything, they can hang out just like at a park. I think the agreement would not be able to preclude someone in, from the public who wanted to sit there. Is that right? Thank you. All right, then my next question is with a single lane each way, uh, I quite often see uh, cars double park, um, and then traffic gets way backed up. <clears throat> And in regards to the striping, would it continue, would it be uh, dash, not two solid double yellow lines, uh, so then traffic could go around? Uh, what is the proposal of how what to deal with the cars at double park? Yeah, and I'll have, I'll have Robert talk about this, and then I can, I did talk with the chief of police about enforcement, so if we could have um, Deputy Director Vance just talk about the plan for the striping, and then I'm happy to jump in on the enforcement side. Just a clarification question, um, Ms. Ott. I thought parking was now under the parking department out of public works. The parking management, this was about du people double parking. So that would be a traffic enforcement issue. If you have a truck that's double parked, um, that would be a traffic enforcement issue. So we'd send the police. We, well, yeah, because it would, I think park, if someone's parking on a meter at a meter and they're not being enforced, then I, my understanding is that's that would be public works, but if someone's actually blocking the street um, and par double parked, um, then that would be a police okay. enforcement issue, a traffic enforcement issue. Okay. And then go ahead, Let's hear Deputy City Director Manager. Vance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Deputy Public Works Director. Yes, Mr. Vance. Thank you. Um, we're, we're recommending the, the solid um, center lines uh, for the commercial corridors. That's um, the striping that's there now. It's the striping that was there when it was four lanes. and. Um, the, the reason is just the volumes um, in, in this area really don't want to encourage people to cross the, um, the center line for passing reasons. Um, so the, the vehicle that you know, should be moved is the, is the double parked vehicle. And to address some of the double parking, um, again, that's where we're looking at having more loading zones, more places where uh, there's you know, turn, turnover along the curb. Um, 
to uh, you know reduce that double parking, um, and then it becomes more of an enforcement issue. Um, and then also the you know there could be a situation where um, the double park car vehicle um, is uh, blocking the bike lane, um, in which case a, a cyclist would have to you know um, maneuver out of the bike lane, go into the travel lane, go around the car, go back into the bike lane, and so in, in that scenario you know, the, the vehicles behind that bicycle should really wait for them, you know, the bicycle to pass and then, and then proceed safely. Thank you. Councilor, go ahead. All right, so um, in regards to the businesses that don't allow uh, members of the public to sit there and do whatever, uh, city will, how will city enforce that the public can in fact sit at any of these parklets unlimited amount of time and whether or not they purchase anything? We'll, we'll talk about that. I mean, it's it's the similar to obviously we're getting complaints and the public is you know isn't allowed to use it. I mean, we'll we'll need to first take like we do with a lot of enforcement education, make sure the businesses that have parklets and encroachment permits that it's in the agreement, make sure they know that, um, and then we would just like we would inspect the compliance, you know, the construction of the parklets, making sure they're in compliance. Then we would we would do the same type of enforcement. Thank you. So along those lines, um, city attorney and city manager, what if um, a restaurant that has outdoor dining wants to serve customers outdoors, but it's every table is taken with members of the public just enjoying the space? What, what happens? Go ahead, city attorney. Uh, Madam Mayor, that's, we hope that it practically does not happen, but legally, members of the public can enjoy public spaces, um, and especially on the street, which is where these outdoor dining locations are, um, the public does have significant rights to be there. Um, it's almost no different than them sitting on the curb, for example, next to a car. Um, our, uh, our law enforcement personnel do not have the ability, do not have the authority to move such persons along if they're otherwise law-abiding. Um, restaurants could consider um, you know, softly advising folks that there are food and drinks available to be purchased, um, provide a menu, um, and do any number of things to encourage sale that they might otherwise do to patrons. Okay, so um, clearly we can't control the, the behavior of the public that might want to use those spaces, but we will make it abundantly clear to business owners that, look, you will be charged this amount, but that doesn't mean that 100% of the space is going to be available for your use. I think that would be a great right. idea. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you. Um, other clearing... Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. I appreciate your questions. Um, how will the city uh, communicate with the public that they have a right to stay unlimited at any of these parklets as long as they want without purchasing anything? I have to suggest, I mean, to be honest, that, I mean, we have a business that's using this for economic development and business purposes, so I don't think we would be actively, I wouldn't actively publicizing that, to be honest. And I think if the, it, it will be in the agreement, if people know, Obviously, the council directs us to do that, but I think the intent is to create sales tax revenue to help our businesses, and the more we're advertising these as public spaces and not as potential revenue generators or, or business support, I don't know that that wouldn't be my recommendation is that we actively advertise these as public spaces. That's not what their intent is. Obviously, legally, that is possible, and we would enforce it because that's the law, but I think 
I, I wouldn't go out of our way to publicize it. I have a follow-up question, which is, in both the Park Street Business District and Webster Street District, are there any spaces in those districts where people could sit and enjoy their food beverages or just reading a book or something um, that isn't uh, you know, directly a parklet? Yeah, so we have Alameda Avenue on Park Street, and then you have the Taylor Street lot. I forget now what we call it. That's the Heaving Garden. Maybe? Yeah, the, yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, that's changed since I was gone. Both of those are public community spaces. Um, that we would actively try to encourage people to use as public spaces, and we could certainly make that, publicize that. Um, I think, but our goal, our policy goals for these parklets is different, is one of economic development, sales tax generation, and support of local small businesses. Thank you. Councilmember Rivera Spencer. Uh, thank you, Mayor. So, uh, it, uh, in regards to economic development, then why isn't more money being charged to the businesses if it uh, is public property? and the city's not going to apparently educate the public that they have a right to the property. Because our, from an economic development standpoint, I think we're trying to support our small restaurants and businesses that were impacted by COVID. So we're actually trying to encourage our businesses to be successful and generate revenue, not make revenue from fees being charged to small businesses. All right, and it's, um, is it staff's understanding that the Healing Garden is open to the public at large 24 hours a day? <laughs> Well, I don't know that we allow it. I don't know the answer to the operations. Yes, it's open to the public. Whether or not it's open all hours, I had have to check. But I know in some cases we actually we might want to shut it just to not have noise and other things. But I don't know off the top of my head, um, and I don't see um, the business district, um, Linda. So I don't see her here. But I, I so I don't know the hours of operation. But they are open to the public. Uh, thank you. I'm sorry, Madam Clerk. She, she is present remotely and has her hand raised, so she, oh. I'm sure she's listening and able to address oh. it. So. Okay. All right. Well, when she's um, it's right. her turn to speak, right. she might want to right. um, illustrate or, or um, inform us on that point. Okay. What else would we like to know before we go to our public comments? All right. Let's do public comment. Madam Clerk, how many do we have? Um, we have uh, nine, uh, ten, yeah. And uh, so they'll get two minutes each. And the first is in person, and it's Kathy Weber. All right, well, welcome, Speaker Weber. Good evening, council members. Thank you for this opportunity to uh, speak on this. Um, we are in support of the continuation. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm Kathy Weber, Executive Director with Downtown Alameda. Um, we are in support of the continuation of this program, and we are very eager to transfer, transition to this new phase. The, um, with, we're supportive of retaining the two lanes of traffic that have provided a, a calmer, more pedestrian-friendly environment for our district. Um, we are also in support of reducing the confusion um, of parking by moving parking to the curb uh, additionally, we are supportive of the parklet program and that parklets enhance the vitality and the energy and provide an economic benefit to the entire district, not just the parklet permit holders. There's a, a great uh, feeling of, and vibrancy that we find with, with the parklets. And then the improved aesthetics. Um, and a number of investments have been made to upgrade existing parklets. Uh, the tents that we had seen at one time, those are, those are gone. 
and those parklets have been transitioned and um, the tents have been eliminated. And there's been improvements in investment that these parklet owners have made into the sustainability and the aesthetic uh, appreciation of the, uh, their parklets. And we also feel that the installation of the decorative concrete barriers will not only provide a unifying theme to the district, but they'll um, enhance the aesthetics and create a more visually attractive and less construction zone feel. And we are supportive of the continuation of Alameda Avenue that offers a com community gathering space and an alfresco dining area. Thank you. Your time is up. Our next speaker. Uh, Karen Miller. Oh, all the rest are remote, by the way. The rest are remote. Okay, welcome Speaker Miller. Good evening, Council. Um, I oppose the designs for Webster and Park Street. The current reconfiguration was a temporary COVID remedy and the public was never consulted as it was an emergency action. Um, this looks a lot like the same presentation that was done at the Transportation Commission when staff admitted that there was no public outreach done, only the business community was consulted. Everyone I speak to wants the streets returned to the, uh, as the configuration they were prior to COVID the reconfiguration. Please do not go forward with this plan until public consensus and a survey is done. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Cindy Johnson. Welcome, Speaker Johnson. Good evening, Mayor Izzy Ashcraft and members of the Council. I'm calling on behalf of Bikewalk Alameda tonight to express support for staff's recommendations. We sent a letter in already, but in the event you haven't had time to read it, I'll just quickly summarize and say, we believe this configuration is much preferred to the pre-pandemic configuration with four lanes of car traffic through our business districts. Fewer, slower cars make sense for commercial areas, areas where we want people to visit and enjoy as destinations in themselves. We prefer protected bike lanes rather than painted ones, but we understand the proposed phasing and believe this is a good interim step for our community and businesses. We're concerned about double parking in bike lanes, but we know there are strategies to manage curb parking and look forward to staff implementing those. We also proposed additional enhancements we think might improve safety further and make bike parking easier for people with larger bikes to visit. We hope you will consider those ideas as well. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Our next speaker. Matt Reed. Welcome, Speaker Reed. Hi, thanks, Mayor and Council members. Um, just three quick points. One, uh, I, I do think the rent is light. I think if you did a prorated square footage type analysis, you'd find that, that those uh, businesses should be paying 800 to 1,000 bucks a month, uh, not just uh, 200 or so, as uh, Planning Director Thomas mentioned earlier. That's first point. Uh, second point, uh, just to underscore, echo what Karen Miller said, there's been no public outreach at all. The, the, the slide that showed the, the evidence of outreach presented earlier was strictly internal. It was to businesses who are obviously uh, quite, uh, have a strong bias in this particular case. So I really encourage uh, everyone to promote uh, a little bit more public outreach on this. Uh, and I think you'll find a lot of people do uh, miss the, pr the prior configuration. Um, third thing, uh, I'm not in principle opposed to parklets personally, uh, but I do think that the purpose of a parklet should be to support uh, a, a rendering of services, not a, a, a sale of goods. Uh, and as you look down the map, uh, most of them are restaurants. Uh, the karate studio cited by Planning Director Thomas is actually providing a service. Uh, but there's one that really stands out, and it almost feels like it's a it's an inside deal or something. I just don't think Daisy's uh, as a as a gift shop needs a parklet. Uh, it doesn't seem fair to the other businesses. It seems out of place. I just went went over there and was informed by a sign in very nice cursive writing that Daisy's uh, only welcomes shoppers of its store from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. in that parklet. 
uh, would, and of course the store was, was closed. So uh, again, I, I don't think it's a good fit for all businesses. I support the restaurants in principle, uh, but I do think that you need more public outreach on this matter. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Jay Garfinkel. Welcome, Speaker Garfinkel. Good evening, uh, Madam Mayor, members of the council. You know, the uh, commercial streets project was initiated on a request by the business community, the downtown business owners, uh, in order to help them weather the pandemic. And at that time, it was probably appropriate. The pandemic has passed for all intents and purposes, and there's no longer any justification for continuing the, uh, the parklet uh, program. Uh, staff uh, claims that there's a the project is categorically exempt from uh, CEQA evaluation. Uh, this implies that at some point in the past, there was uh, an adequate evaluation or a legitimate application of uh, an exemption. I was not able to find any such uh, previous evaluation, nor was uh, there a legitimate uh, uh, exemption placed. Uh, staff uh, referenced uh, a common sense exemption. They identified it as 15601, however, it's actually 15061. Uh, and uh, this applies, this exemption applies uh, only if a lead agency determines uh, that uh, it is uh, uh, very unlikely that the project will be free of any uh, effects on the environment. In other words, this project clearly has affected the environment. It, it impacts police transit, fire transit, ambulance, and would impinge or, or impair uh, evacuation in the case of a natural uh, disaster. Uh, this clearly qualifies for a uh, CEQA evaluation, the staff's manipulation of the exemption clauses notwithstanding. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Carmen Reed. Welcome, Speaker Reed. Good evening, Madam Mayor and City Council members calling in to express some areas of concern regarding this item. This item was submitted by Public Works, not the Planning Department or Transportation Department, which doesn't seem quite right. The city is claiming categorical exemption from CEQA, but the sections of CEQA they reference all depend on previous satisfactory CEQA evaluations, of which it appears there are none. Therefore, the permanent narrowing of the streets and additional bike lanes next to traffic lanes should not be considered exempt from a thorough safety study. This project is likely to put cyclists in particular in danger. The staff report references a public survey taken in 2021 where 33% of the participants answered that they preferred returning the striping to the original two lanes in each direction. This was still during peak COVID and no public outreach has been conducted since then. The plan includes maintaining the parklets, but does not include a fee to the business owners. Presumably the parklets add additional seating for the restaurants. And therefore at this point, it seems reasonable to charge a fee for this space. And lastly, staff has indicated that the restriping plan has the blessings of the Alameda Fire Department and AC Transit but have not included any reports in the proposal. Please take a look 
at these serious concerns before taking action at this time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker. Jim Stralo. Welcome, Speaker Stralo. Good evening. Safety, safe emergency disaster evacuation plans of Alameda includes tens of thousands of people. Your safety claim for this project's bike lane seems to only be about the safety of a limited number of people pandering to a minority. You will actually be putting seven-year-old bicyclists next to busy traffic, large vehicles, etc. You will be putting bicyclists more at risk with this program. Why not have one lane be a shared bus bike lane ending all parklets? Potentially add some safe method to alert a bike in that shared lane to temporarily move out of that shared lane to make way for a bus or especially an emergency vehicle. In an emergency, that lane could be useful during an island evacuation. Without public workshops, you did not even begin to hear about potential modifications to this horrible plan. Those who vote yes on 7C may be subjected to just to this, uh, she made 7B, to district attorney grand jury investigation for lying to the general public and subject to recall. If your project truly was about safety, tonight you would have included the city's plans on how it will safely evacuate 80,000 occupants from the island with this new di uh, diet, road diet configuration. They could, you only have one and a half hours to evacuate the island if there is a tidal wave surge from, uh, from the Aleutian Islands area. The time is less for an underwater quake closer to Alameda. This plan particularly negatively affects those residing near the south center of the island for evacuation purposes. I also want to turn a vehicle off of Park Street onto Alameda Island as before. Closing off Alameda Avenue negatively affects businesses on Alameda Avenue. Well, why no public workshops? Why no sequence, uh, sequence study? A loud no for me. Thank you so much. Our next speaker. Zach Bowling. Welcome, Speaker Bowling. Evening, Council. Yeah, thank you. Um, I just wanted to quickly say I'm very much in support of staff's recommendation here to uh, for this restriping plan, um, and also very much in support of our current part, like, Parklet program as it exists, and um, hope we can continue that. I uh, just was quickly looking at like the program requirements between different parklet programs throughout the state. San Francisco is a little bit unique in that they treat their parklets as public space, um, but they've had one of the oldest parklet programs in the state, um, giving businesses the opportunity to sort of sponsor them and leave them as public and not allowing table service. But then in contrast, Oakland does exactly the opposite talking about how to protect um, business owner investments in their parklets and how to close them for when they're not open and and treating them in sort of a different fashion. So I'm not sure maybe the city attorney could maybe investigate um, how Oakland's getting away with having um, uh, sort of private parklets for these businesses to have table service. Um, just in general, I sent a public comment letter on the restriping plan. I'm very much in support of having sort of bike lanes go up our two commercial corridors. Right now, you have to take the full lane as a biker, which is hard our right, but um, it is scary. Um, I, I wouldn't really appreciate, though, fast cars going beside me without some kind of protection. So one of the things I had in that um, email was just some devices that like along right now the new Valencia and I'm not saying it's a good design <laughs> the new Valencia center bike lane installs some of those devices to keep cars sort of separated and while they're not complete barriers like an actual wall they do discourage the use of those bike lanes I think I sent last year a video of 
uh, cars, 45 incidents within two hours using the bike lane for just, just a minute, just a minute to run whatever errand they wanted to run inside. And I'm afraid with the restriping plan, that's gonna happen a lot, but having something like that rubber barrier just to clue people in that, hey, this is not your space. Don't stay here, move along. Thank you, our next speaker. Uh, Bennett Schatz. Welcome, Speaker Schatz. Good evening, council members. Thank you for taking my comment and thank you for addressing this. Um, I'm an Alameda resident, a member of the public and a daily cyclist on the island. Uh, I, support the, I support the proposed plan and support anything the city can do to move towards safer, better designed multimodal transit on the island. Frankly, it is embarrassing and dangerous that our two main commercial corridors lack basic cycling infrastructure. Even the surrounding streets are dangerous for cyclists and inconvenient. To any of who would say these changes aren't needed because they don't see many cyclists on the road, the reason there are no cyclists is because it is dangerous and scary to ride on these streets. This is a step in the right direction, but I also wanna encourage council to continue investing in creating a better, safer Alameda for cyclists. Specifically, this plan does nothing to address the dangerous conditions on Webster between Atlantic and Lincoln, which is where Webster connects with the Cross Alameda Trail. Safer, more inclusive streets make Alameda a better place for all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Oops. Wait. I'm sorry. I messed okay. that one up. August Z. Welcome, Speaker Z. Or Speaker August. Hi. Great. Yes. Hi. <laughs> um, great. My comment. I'm, in, I'm a bicyclist, so I'll, I'm going to leave those comments out, of course. I like bike lanes. But I do want to talk briefly about the parklets. Um, just I'm a little concerned about the utilization. Uh, you know, when you give a public resource away for cheap or free, you often see poor utilization. I do think there's a little bit of that going on. Um, and there's uh, parklets where if you do sit there and the you know restaurant doesn't want to provide service, they've got staff for it, they don't do it. Um, obviously, Daisy's has got the sign saying you can't be there, uh, though for a long time there was almost no use of that space. Um, we do know the spaces are valuable, so from a public resource standpoint, there's desperate parking chaos. There's double park, you know, back to back every which way. Um, and so the value of that spot is at least the value of the parking fees. And, uh, you know, as a private person, if you needed a spot, you can get them, but you normally buy out the parking fees. That would be about 2,400 a month. I don't know what this program charges the merchants. Uh, I'm, I'm an accountant, there's no way uh, obviously, places like Burma Superstar would happily pay. They're making great use of the space. But the places that are just dead space, I think if there was a fee that was more commercially reasonable, so it's not just a giveaway of a sort of public resource, you would see better utilization. Um, so I would encourage you to be cautious with the parklets uh, in terms of the, you know, charge a reasonable fee so that the spaces are well used. That's, that's the extent of my comment. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Ron Mooney. Welcome, Speaker Mooney. Good evening. Um, so certainly in favor of the staff report and the um, continuation of the um, parklets and the one lane in each direction. I think the comments by Black Walk Alameda um, fit perfectly. And we need a slower, safer downtown, both for pedestrians, bicyclists, and vehicles. Uh, one lane in each direction is frankly fine. Um, I also say, would say for the parklet program, currently the signed agreement we have with the city is that during our operational hours, um, we can restrict the use to our own private use. And once we're 
we close, then it becomes a public space, and that's how we've been operating it. And I would urge that we keep that type of um, program going forward. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Denise Trepanier. Welcome, Speaker Trepanier. Hi, thank you, Mayor. Um, my name is Denise Trepanier, and I'm the board president for Bikewalk Alameda. Um, I wanted to mention one other compelling reason for supporting staff's proposal tonight. AB 825, the Safe Sidewalk Riding Bill, is a proposal making its way through the state legislature right now, and it would prohibit jurisdictions such as Alameda from um, preventing or outlawing sidewalk riding um, on corridors that don't provide bike lanes. So if this um, proposal or this bill is signed into law, this would mean that we'd either have to allow sidewalk riding on Park and Webster streets or strike in the bike lanes that are being proposed by staff tonight. And I think most of us would agree that we don't want, no one wants um, to have to have more bike riders um, in our business district um, sidewalks. Um, so please, um, support staff's recommendation tonight. And I guess the, the other thing I just wanted to mention is that staff's recommendation tonight is a really good interim step towards getting us um, to the protected or the low stress network that's that's called for in our active transportation plan. Um, this this um, plan is really implementation of council's prior direction to clean up Park and Webster. And this is a really good way to implement the safety protocols that you guys called for um, about 18 months ago while taking an interim step to getting to um, what's been called for in the active transportation plan. So we're in full favor and um, please support staff's recommendation tonight. Thank you. Thank you. The city clerk and I are going to work on getting your last name correct. We're going to take some French um, <laughs> remedial lessons. Okay, um, next speaker. Madam that was clerk. our last speaker. Oh, and we blew the name. Oh, well. Um, okay, with that, we're closing public comment. I would like to ask, um, just for a moment, totally putting him on the spot, but Chief Luby, our illustrious fire chief, is back in the back. Can't hide from me. Um, we heard a comment earlier in the um, among the speakers who talked about um, this plan wasn't um, vetted for public safety for evacuations for emergency vehicles. Um, could you speak to that, please? Uh, I would love to. Um, and feel free and to I, raise that microphone up a little oh, so we can catch every. Sure. Word. How's that? That's perfect. Okay. Uh, good evening, Madam Mayor, City Council members, Nick Luby, Fire Chief. Uh, the, the vetting process that we are involved in is a uh, development review team. Uh, we meet um, weekly, bi-weekly, twice. twice. <laughs> we, we meet routinely uh, throughout the month on all projects. This project was bought uh, through the DRT or the development review team um, as a project that we all looked at. Uh, we did give our feedback and our input um, you know, through that process, you know, this is an improvement to the current situation. It does give more space for vehicles to pull to the right in accordance with, with the laws uh, to allow emergency vehicles go to uh, pass through. Currently, there is no relief area for vehicles that are pulled to the right. They would be pulling into a bike lane, um, but it does give some space for vehicles to pull over so emergency vehicles could go up and down Webster or park. Okay, thank you so much. And and again, apologies for not giving you any advance notice, but you did a great job. Thank you for that. 
Okay, council, um, uh, uh, council member Vela, want to lead us off. Uh, and I, I appreciate all those uh, folks that called in and, and uh, the staff presentation. Um, I'm supportive in part uh, and uh, have some concerns about, uh, about some of the, the staff recommendations. Um, I'm supportive of the road diet and uh, adding the bike lane. I think that, that that has to happen and certainly in our business districts is something that is needed. I do think that we have some majorly underutilized parklets currently, and I also think that there could be better usage of space um, where those parklets are. And frankly, I think from a kind of visual standpoint, I think that there needs to be kind of a cleaner look about the parklets themselves. Um, and what I mean by that is, I, I think there, many of them are enclosed, they're built with different materials. Um, it, it becomes very hard to actually see the businesses uh, behind them. Um, and so, frankly, I think looking back pre-pandemic uh, at some of the parklet programs that existed, Berkeley had one that I thought worked very well, uh, where they actually um, worked with their business districts and businesses um, and didn't put parklets everywhere but kind of found natural places either in the middle of a street where there was a crosswalk um, or there were kind of natural bulbs to build a more permanent uh, parklet. For instance, there was an example on Solano Avenue I think that was completed in 2017. Um, there was one in front of the cheese board. Um, that was also uh, done. And they were fairly uniform in terms of kind of the, the visual aesthetics of what you could get. There was, kind of, they were raised, they're raised um, with a little bit of concrete off the ground so they're, they're more curb um, or sidewalk level. Um, there's uh, permanent kind of benches that are put in. Um, I would be open to having a conversation about businesses potentially renting those spaces. Um, and adding kind of permanent tables along with those benches and some umbrellas or things where they could roll their umbrellas out to cover and provide some sort of temporary awning that then gets put away um, at night. I do think that the, you know, in, in a way, because they were temporary, they were not built to last. And we are now seeing that um, in a number of the parklets that are, are currently in our business districts. And I think that it's actually taking away. I think some of them have been very well done. Um, some businesses invested more than others in terms of really building structures that um, have been weathering the weather well. Um, I, I would also say that you know, with the removal of some of the, the parklets that are coming, even thinking about how parking occurs, for instance, on Park Street, I think that there is an opportunity to even think about how the parking actually occurs and the number of spaces that can be used for short-term parking for deliveries and things of that nature because I really think that the utilization of parking on the street should be for ADA spaces or for um, people that are kind of popping in to get takeout. Um, and that sort of thing. And also, frankly, adding more bike parking. I, on Park Street especially, I think that there's a huge opportunity to add more bike parking. I, I am supportive of Alameda Avenue staying closed. I think it's created a space. I would like to see more investment from the city there 
in addition to kind of thinking again of the parklet program that was pre-pandemic in places like Danville and Berkeley and Solano Avenue and Albany, um, in, in Albany, Berkeley, um, of creating a, a kind of more permanent park-like um, feel that's inviting. Um, and, and same, frankly, with, with Webster, with the Healing Garden, I think that there's an opportunity to do more kind of built-ins. I know that in many cases in Berkeley, they were partnerships with Boy Scout troops and Scout troops um, or apprenticeship programs where folks could come in and, and build kind of existing, you know, really build benches and, and make it look nice. And then they had kind of a, a metal railing that went around that was lower, but like, again, could allow um, kind of a look into the space while still protecting the people that were in those spaces. So I, I'd be interested in something like that and those sort of investments in, in spaces with, with more of a focus on permanence and also accessibility. I also noticed that in those sort of parklets, there's um, the, many of the spaces are wheelchair accessible, um, entries wider, there aren't those sort of step up, step down um, scenarios, things like that. So, uh, you know, again, not kind of want to find a way to continue parklets, but do it in a way that I think um, works with the streetscape visually, um, is ADA accessible, and then again, isn't just the whole length of the street or open to every business, but really thinking about strategic placement from kind of a um, kind of a traffic flow, multimodal traffic flow um, standpoint. So I, I would like to see a little more kind of thought go into that sort of system um, than kind of just maintaining the parklets as they are or kind of inviting people to essentially um, kind of create something in that public space because I do think that it then creates more of an issue versus if it's a permanent structure and we kind of regulate what that looks like and there's kind of a, a menu to choose from and we're more involved in the planning of that. Um, it could be a public-private partnership in terms of funding it. We could find opportunities to work with our schools or other people um, as well. Um, and then, like I said, even thinking about the directionality of how the cars are parking, can we get more, you know, do we, you know right now we're looking at just kind of continuing parallel parking as opposed to angled parking, things like that. That was another thing that was looked at at Solano Avenue that I thought was um, would be worth looking at, especially if we're thinking about the road diet and figuring out how to do that um, in a way that makes sense and uh, creates a, a bike lane. I would also like to see the bike lanes protected. Um, it, it, I don't, especially at the intersections. I mean, that's where I think um, thinking about those sort of interactions uh, could be beneficial. Um, so that's where I, I am. I, I do think that you know, like I said, uh, I appreciate especially the thought about restriping and, and the road diet. I think that that's absolutely critical that we move forward. And the other thing that I would say is I'd be fine kind of creating an opportunity or window to kind of move into this um, and, and kind of phasing out, kind of allowing this through the summer and then moving into, um, into the fall, thinking about um, how do we create these spaces uh, moving forward. So I don't want to rush into it, but I do want to do it kind of sooner rather than later. Thank you. Thank you. Um, who wants to start? Councilmember Jensen, get your hand up. Go ahead. Um, I appreciate, thanks um, Chief Libby for being here and for um, sharing. That's very important that public, public safety has, um, buys in and has, uh, feels that this will work 
and that your um, that our our engines and trucks and, and ambulances can use the streets safely and and respond to emergencies. So, thank you for that. I um, agree with many of the comments, although um, I am supportive of of staff's recommendation for the most part. I want to um, clarify something that has been discussed through questions and through the presentation, and that is regarding the um, existing agreements and the new agreements. It, it sounds like, um, from what I've heard, that the existing agreements allow for restrictions on usage, or they specifically provide that usage can be restricted. And I think I heard from the city manager, we can confirm that the new agreements will not restrict usage, correct? That's correct. Okay, well that's important and I appreciate that. And I also wanted to um, ask for something that was, I don't recall it being discussed tonight, but I know it was submitted in comments at one point and that is with regard to the transit or the um, commercial street part um, on both streets to restrict right-hand turns, to, it, to put in um, some sort of barrier like what's at Grand Street and Otis to, to reduce the potential for the potential for, to improve pedestrian safety by restricting right-hand turns on, um, from the streets in the commercial corridors. And those are my only comments, thank you. For clarification, um, do we restrict right-hand turns on Grand and Otis? I would have to, I'd have to defer to Deputy Director Vance. Yeah, okay, or um, Mr. Thomas or Mr. Vance, oops, do we still have him? He's, Mr. Vance is still here, we'll put him back up. Maybe we could just leave him up. He's in there, I've seen him. Laura, maybe we could leave, can we leave him up? Is that yes, possible? Yes, we okay. leave him up. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he kind of is. The, um, uh, the example of Otis and, and Grand Street, it's a shared through and right turn lane, so um, that does restrict some of the right turns, um, but right turn on red is permitted there. Um, so is, is council member, is your question to have no right turn on red? Or yeah. just to have, yeah. That would be, okay. I think that's true on Park and Otis. There's no right turn on red or maybe. Oh, I park and, park and Otis, okay. May, I right. was wrong, not yeah. Grand then, but yeah. Grand has the barriers to right-hand turns to protect the bike lane. That's right. Thank you. Okay. Okay, thank you. Anything further from you, Councilmember Jensen? No. That's all. Council Vice, Can Vice Mayor Dazak. Oh, well, thank you. Um, you know, when we instituted um, the Parklet program, uh, we were uh, <coughs> certainly in the pandemic. And the necessity of that was especially so that, you know, for those restaurants um, who were going to survive, um, it would have been incredibly difficult, if not um, against the rules, to have indoor um, dining. And so we not only needed the outdoor dining, um, but also, you know, the socially distanced uh, uh, requirement had to be uh, met. And so the, the Parkley program uh, came at, at, uh, at a great time. And from, uh, from 2021 going into 2022, um, the Parklet program, in my mind, um, really, uh, from what I can tell, um, began to assume a, a new life uh, that, that, that was something to, to um, be cheerful about. 
and the new, new life was in the form of just activating um, Webster Street and Park Street um, in ways, you know, just see, it was just, it, it, it was and it continues to be great to see so many people just outside enjoying themselves like they do. Um, but at the same time, you know, since we're um, beyond the pandemic, at least the height of the pandemic, um, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, business still occurring within um, the four walls of, of, of any of these um, restaurants. And for that reason, I continue to be very supportive of the um, Parklet program. Um, I was in the past, um, and I continue to be because I just see such a dynam dynamism there in terms of the activation of the space. I think it's exceeded um, beyond our original um, uh, intentions. Um, I do think that it is important to remind the public um, uh, as well as the business um, uh, who, with parklets in front of them that um, the seating um, in the parklets um, and just the parklet, parklets generally um, are public areas and they are to be open um, to, to the public. Um, you know, even if they don't buy um, an item uh, from this door um, that has a, a par parklet, you know, the public still has, uh, has a right to that parklet. I'm not, I'm not sure that this is a major problem. I mean, I've never really heard people saying, hey, you know, there's too many people, you know, who are sitting in my parklet. Um, I'm not, so I'm not sure, but, but, uh, but, um, but it is worth, you know, reminding the business owners that the public, that the parklets are in the uh, public right of way. And it is for that reason, you know, we're not charging market rates um, for um, uh, the, the, the use uh, of, of uh, for the opportunity to put um, seating um, in, a, in a public um, parklet. Um, so in that sense, you know, the parklets are not a privatization of a space, um, but an opportunity for private businesses to you know, um, improve those spaces with seating or or other kinds of uh, maybe like tables where people can you know put their drinks and and eat standing up or whatever. Um, no, I I just continue to be um, excited about the park, um, the Parklet program in in its success in in activating the area. Um, you know the parking. Um, that I've seen on Park Street and Webster Street um, up to now has, has been kind of problematic. The reality is that, um, you know, a lot of the parking rules have kind of been honored in the breach, so to speak, <laughs> where you have, you know, cars parked in places that have striped white lines. Um, so um, perhaps what's being uh, proposed um, uh, this evening um, uh, will fix that. Um, you know, I, I hear the concerns raised by uh, residents um, about uh, the bike lanes, um, but you know, it, I have you know seen quite often you know people bicycling down um, Webster Street sidewalks and, and Park Street sidewalks, and and I have to be concerned about that. Not me per se, but um, but you know, I mean, there's a lot of elderly folks who who walk down there, and you know, people zipping on their bikes. Um, I, I think it's a better um, uh, um, it, it's a better idea to put the, uh, a bike lane. Um, it is a kind of a tight fit for a bike lane. I think it might not be the standard width that we want to see, a standard uniform width that we want to see in terms of um, 
bike lanes, um, but, uh, but if there's space, and, and it looks like our staff believes that there's space for, for bike lanes, then, you know, then, I, then I'm supportive of it. I mean, my major thing, though, in supporting the Parklet program like I have in these past several years is just, to me, it, it's exciting to see the activation of space. Um, on a final note, yes, it is true. It does tend to slow traffic down for people, you know, who want to get, let's say, from um, Alameda Avenue on Park Street uh, to maybe Lincoln Avenue and Park Street. It does slow traffic down. Um, we, I mean, there, no one's going to argue against that. But I think the trade-offs um, are, are, are well worth it in terms of having that activated space. And the fact now that we're contemplating um, um, uh, bicycle um, paths um, to get the, them off the um, sidewalks, I think, it, it is something to be added. So on balance, um, I continue to support the Parklet program. And uh, finally, I do appreciate um, the discussion with regard to making sure that people understand that the Parklet areas are public space. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, Councilmember Spencer, I'm going to call on you next, but it turns out we accidentally missed one public speaker. Her hand, for whatever reason, went lowered. down, but we're And she couldn't get it back up, she yeah, said. So. Yeah, and so, um, so she had some technical difficulties, and it is, um, who is it? It's Linda Asbury. Who, so. Linda Asbury, Executive Director of okay. West Alameda Business Association. So we will call on you now two minutes because we had more than six speakers. Welcome, Speaker Asbury. Linda Asbury here, Executive Director of the West Alameda Business Association. I am so sorry for the confusion. Uh, I meant to speak. I want no, to speak. No worries. So, oh, thank you so much. So I'm totally in support. is totally in support of the restriping the uh, public uh, meeting spaces, meaning our parklets. Uh, and I just want to support it, what it's done for our businesses. And I also want to support, we have the uh, healing garden that is open to the public at all times. The only time I've had to interfere is when they've wanted to have uh, music that is beyond a level that we can have. And I know on Park Street, there's Alameda Avenue that I so support, it provides a space for the public to be there. And I also want to enforce, you know, I, I could be wrong on my figures, but sales tax coming in is from our restaurants and retail is 18% of our budget. I think we need to do everything we can do to support our businesses. They're the ones we go to when we want gift certificates, when we want to support our little league team. And I'm just asking for, you know, some, support and you're so good with this i don't mean to say you're not support for our businesses that are not over the COVID pandemic they are facing now three years that they didn't have income so thank you for letting me come in late i apologize and please support the uh please support the plan as presented thank you all right back to you councilmember harris spencer Thank you, Mayor. And first of all, I want to thank all the public for your comments and staff for working on this. I have questions in regards to the parklets that are used only for sale of product without seating. Will that be allowed to continue? We will have in our agreements that the, they need to be available to the public if someone wants to sit there. Um, but what so if there's no space? What if it's filled up with product? 
with the product. Like oh, the you products mean? that the store yeah. is selling, right? Not, not for restaurants, right? We do have um, at least one business, right, that uses it for product. And if you go there, you'll see it's filled with product. So it's not for sitting for the public. Uh, so will a business like that be allowed to continue to have a, their space used for sale like an extension of a store, a retail store, as opposed to a public area? At this point, we aren't suggesting we change that. I think if the council would like to focus on restaurants and not on retail, on not on non-restaurant uses, that is something you could provide direction to us on or focus on utilization. I've heard a number of comments about utilization, so if you'd like us to review that, we can. I think what I heard was that if someone wanted to be in that space, um, they would have to be allowed to be in that space, and we'll have to make that clear to that business and all the other businesses. Okay, and in regards to the width of the street, we're going from four lanes to two car lanes. Uh, was, it pos was it explored to have three lanes with a center lane and then bike, real bike lanes, either you know, one on each side or you know, two together, but not, uh, not having just one lane each way? Was that explored to have a center lane and real bike lanes? That sounds like a Robert Vance yep. question. Mr. Vance? Well, um <clears throat> these these are full with bike lanes, so they're actually buffered uh, from traffic. So they're they're a little bit wider than a standard um, five foot wide bike lane. It's like a five foot plus a two foot buffer. Um, but um, there wouldn't be sufficient space to also have a center turn lane and, and these and these stand, standard bike lanes. And um, there's also less need for a center turn lane since there there aren't very many. Uh, driveways between the intersections. Um, that's something that's sort of unique about these commercial corridors is that not, not a lot of curb cuts um, in these areas. So my concern goes to, I appreciate that answer. My concern goes to we really do have cars that double park for all kinds of reasons. And I am confident that we do not have the police power uh, to move those cars along. Um, and in regards to public safety, I do have a question in regards to who are the members of this development review team? Well, I'll start. I mean, the development, yeah, Andrew, it, it is members of our all of our departments that influence or are part of the development review process. So that includes fire department and police department. I think it's all the department, um, public works, planning, building, transportation, um, Alameda Municipal Power. Am I forgetting any? Yeah, those, so they'll review. So for instance, AMP would review for how utilities are gonna be part of a project. And so every department kind of provides comments through the process so that you don't get a full application and then someone comes in and a department has changes. And so it's part of the review process. And some complicated projects will go through several times. Smaller, less complicated will go through once. So it's, um, but that's when all the departments provide comments. So what is the width of the widest emergency vehicle that the city uses? Sounds like a chief Libby. Aren't you glad you came tonight? <laughs> and what is that vehicle? <laughs> was it one you rode in the parade yesterday? I it was not. No, <laughs> they were much smaller back uh, back then. Back in the day. Um, the the width uh, mirror to mirror. Our preference is to have a twelve foot wide lane. Is ideal. Um, that gives us the clearance that we need uh, from mirror to mirror. Thank you. All right, so then um, what is the width if cars pull over and go into the bike lane? 
uh, the widest like trucks then, right, or whatever it is, and then how much space is in the middle that would be available for the emergency vehicles. I think um, Deputy Director Vance, can you talk speak to that? So yeah, I, I can give some I can give some dimensions of what we um, what we proposed. So uh, let me I'm, just I'm pull sorry, those. What, um, what was the and question? Actually we have, um, Hold it, Mr. Vance. Wait, I'm oh, trying to get clarity. What was asked? I think I, I understand the question to be if you so um, if there's a double park vehicle. Is that what you're saying? Or or that the fire engine has to pull over? So they'd be they'd have to pull over if the parklet's there. I guess into the bike lane and the buffered bike lane. And then you're saying what's the space? around that for a car to go around? No, my concern is emergency vehicles. I actually do not think, I think they are going to be impeded, but I want to get it on the record of what numbers you all are using to come up with this. So you're going to have cars that are backed up, backed up, because this is what happens. And in fact, they block the intersections because there's so many cars sometimes going down park each direction. My understanding is that the idea is then that we have an emergency, the cars will be able to pull into the bike lanes, right. and that the emergency vehicles then will go down the middle and I'm happy to have that confirmed that that is actually the plan and then my concern is what is the width when you have the widest vehicles that are pulling in now to your bike lanes uh, available for your widest emergency vehicle to actually be able to get to our emergencies. So I guess I direct think, Deputy Director Vance if, if a vehicle how big is a normal kind of vehicle I guess width? No I, th I th <laughs> I put, uh, so, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, go well, ahead. I was going to say, I think the fire chief answered mirror to mirror 12 feet. I think the question is now the width of the lane. I think what's being asked is if a car, if they move aside into the bike lanes to allow the emergency vehicle to pass through the center, if you take a standard vehicle width and they're in the seven foot bike lane, that's what it is, five feet plus two foot buffer. Um, how much space is then left over, and if they do that on both sides, then how much space is in the middle for a, a fire vehicle to pass through the middle? Is that the question? Correct. Okay. So, got that? Yes. <laughs> well, I, 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 that's correct. I mean, the, the bike lane plus the buffer is, is seven feet. That's about the width of a typical parking space. So that's that's enough for a typical vehicle. That's not the largest vehicle, um, <clears throat> but assuming that you know. Um, Cars are pulling over on both sides of the street. Um, that's that's more than enough room for a 12-foot uh, emergency vehicle. And if I could, Mayor, I just want to add Please. that we are also exploring technology at our intersections to provide preemption for yeah. our public safety vehicles, and we're meeting internally on that and trying to get that implemented as quickly as possible. So that is something else that we can use to preempt fire vehicles at intersections that the chief is looking into. So that didn't answer my question. I, my question goes to what is the width of the center, quote unquote, lane that will be created for the emergency vehicles? It's the, well, it's, let, the, let, it's, the it's, it's the width of the lane. Maybe the city engineer. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. Well, it, it would be up to 22 feet wide if, if vehicles are pulling over in both directions. The, the lane itself, if it's just one direction, that's 11 feet wide. 11. Um, so it's 11 foot travel lane next to essentially a seven foot wide bike lane. So the width from uh, curb to curb then is uh, the 22 plus 14, 36 feet. Is that what's being proposed? Uh, plus there's the seven, seven feet of parking on both sides. Well, assuming the parking's taken, I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at the bike lanes plus mm -hmm. the uh, car lanes that the cars would be pulling into the bike lanes for emergency vehicles to pass. 
there are many times Park Street and Webster are completely backed up with cars on each side. Right. So I'm looking for what is the width, how many feet in the middle that would be available. Not take going into the parking, the parking's taken. So 22 feet. I'm saying that the, 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 the cars would be pulling into the bike lane, which is seven feet wide, so that leaves at least 11 feet, if not more, for the emergency vehicle. Maybe Andrew has a, another way of explaining. <laughs> I think you're doing well. Okay. okay. Is it 11 feet? Is that what's being? I, I'm looking for a number here. Yeah. Not an, I mean, we should know the width of the two, street. There's two 11-foot travel lanes, mm -hmm. one in either direction, and then two five-foot bike lanes, each with a two-foot buffer. So seven plus 11 plus 11 plus seven. So if what Robert is saying is if, 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 if I am driving one way in my seven-foot wide car, I pull into the, essentially the bike lane, and the car coming the other way pulls into the bike lane, you have two 11-foot lanes free, that's 22 feet, for a 12-foot fire truck. Okay, thank you, that's what I was looking for, I appreciate that. Um, I would prefer, so I think that this is community space, I think it should be open to the public at all times. I appreciate um, uh, Member Vela's comments in regards to, I think we should actually be looking at areas that would be shared by the public at all times and not dedicated to one restaurant or one store that actually is, just puts product there. So there is actually no space open for the public to go and sit down. Um, I think we are, um, what, this is, right, so I agree also with the speaker that said, um, um, you know, that we should not have dead space. Uh, when you go out there, you do have underutilized uh, spaces. You have some restaurants. And, and my preference, like Cafe Jolie, theirs is on a side street. It's not on the main street. I think that that actually is a better location than on Park or Webster directly. I like the Healing Garden and the Alameda Avenue, but with, uh, far as I know, the Healing Garden quite often folds up all their furniture and locks it up so it can't be used to the public, uh, by the public. I think it is important for the city to treat these like parks, where the city actually buys uh, seating that is open to the public, just like we would do all of our parks, and the uh, parklets are uh, designed in a manner that anyone that picks up food from any place or brings their own food can enjoy or sits there and wants to read a book or just congregate has access to these spaces. Um, I do think it's important to have uh, the bike lanes on the street as well as the car lanes. I think that's, to me, the multimodal transportation should be the priority, not the parklets. Uh, our first uh, charge is safety, and I would encourage everyone to look at, if you go, if you uh, Google City of Alameda Vision Zero, we now have the numbers for the first quarter of 2023, and we have two killed, one pedestrian, and one passenger in a motor vehicle, which continues to escalate compared to prior years. Um, so that's for one quarter. So I do think that we have a serious problem of trying to have every street serve every purpose. And, and at the end of the day, we have to focus on safety. Uh, so I don't think this is ready. I am concerned also in regards to um, uh, CEQA. What does staff say about CEQA and the comments that were raised that we didn't do it? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Thomas, would you like to take that one? So we're taking an action tonight, if, if you take action, 
We are taking action to um, make an adjustment to an existing street, which is two travel lanes, one in either direction, today. <clears throat> and you are, the, the proposal is to have two travel lanes in either direction um, with this, this action. Um, so it is not a change um, from a from a CEQA. And let's remi remember, CEQA is about the environment. That is what it is about. So, and there is a categorical exemption which was referenced in your packet tonight. That is very specific. And if you read, you know, we just we just talk we just referenced the main exemption and the code number. But if anyone wants to go to the California Environmental Quality Act and actually read what that code section says, it specifically calls out the addition of bike lanes on existing rights of way as something that should not be considered an environmental impact. Thank and that's you. California law. Thank you. So how, if you're going from four lanes to two with bike lanes, um, why is there not space for a center lane the whole way? Well, I think the, there's space for a center lane and two travel lanes. What there is not space for is a center lane, two travel lanes, and two bike lanes, and two parking lanes. All right, so I, I have concerns about that also. I, I do believe traffic gets way backed up, and I don't support having no right turn lanes because it really gets backed up if cars aren't moving. All right, that completes my comments. Thank you. Okay, so I will go last, and um, thank you to all our public commenters. Thank you to staff. Uh, nice work on this. Um, just addressing that last point, we heard the city engineer explain that a center left turn lane isn't needed on this street because unlike our residential streets where we try to give people the opportunity to get into their driveways and um, make turns without holding up the traffic on the Park Street and Webster Street corners, corridors, there's not so much of that space. But let me tell you some concerns I have, some things I like, and some direction I'd like us to give to staff. So um, I have a concern that back in November of 2021, the city council gave direction to staff to move forward on implementing concrete barriers for these two corridors, and it was done for safety reasons. And we've actually had um, on the same parklet, we've had two um, collisions of a vehicle onto the parklet at La Penca Azul. And um, one of them, fortunately, was late at night or early in the morning, and there were no customers. But one of them was at a time um, in the evening when there were diners, people were injured. I think both of them involved a driver who was under the influence of some substance. So uh, because this staff report also included a um, discussion of insurance, and I, I know that's not the focus tonight, but we don't do these kinds of projects without insurance, and insurance is costly, and the city pays a lot of money for its um, premiums, and so we just don't have the money to add a lot of layers to that, but the assumptions for the appropriate rates of insurance, um, depending on whether your parklet's in the middle of a block or at a corner, is 
based on the assumption that those are concrete barriers. And right now, we've just got water-filled barriers. So I want to see us move forward yesterday on the concrete barriers. And also, moving forward, I think maybe we need to give direction to staff that by a date certain, we expect this to be accomplished, and staff can work with us to help set a reasonable date. And if for some reason, because I get it, things come up and things deadlines can't be done, but for goodness sakes, we're a year and a half out and we still aren't protected um, by concrete barriers. So if there's a problem, come back to the, the council and let us know and give us the new, um, the new iteration because we um, reasonably expect that the directions we give will be carried out and I think the public is right to, um, to expect that too. So I am generally in favor of um, continuing the parklets. I do have questions about the need for parklets for what is purely a retail space, because I do believe that it is infrequently used. And it, um, this is, these are busy um, public corridors. Um, at the same time, I recognize that we're trying to do a lot of things. This council has talked about concern for our small businesses, concern for keeping our restaurants in businesses, in business. We've lost restaurants that got all the way through the pandemic and then just couldn't make it anymore because a lot of businesses are still operating on a very slim margin. So I do want to help our restaurants that want to have outdoor seating, outdoor dining. Some diners are still not comfortable going inside. Um, some diners are immunocompromised and they just feel more comfortable if they're going to go out at all. It's going to be with outdoor dining. If restaurants find that they don't have space for their outdoor diners, the pub because the public's there, they may not decide to renew their parklet agreement um, the following year. But I also want to remind people we do have these spaces, the Alameda Avenue Plaza and the Healing Garden, and those are good places. Well, not good yet. They could be better. And I'm going to speak to the Alameda Avenue configuration. I'm a cyclist. Um, my husband and I were just on Park Street on Saturday, got milkshakes. We went over to sit in the parklet to have them. The parklet is not very attractive. It's a mishmash. It doesn't look like a lot of thought was put into it. The pavement is in deplorable condition. We parked our bikes there. I like that there's a, a bike parking. We balance a lot of different interests. We need to have room on the, the sidewalk for people to walk, for people who might be in wheelchairs or have mobility-assisted devices. We like to be able to park our bikes, but hey, bicyclists, just like cars, you can't always expect to park right in front of the business you're frequenting. But the, the Alameda Avenue, it's really well situated. And on Webster Street, there's just around the corner from where the farmer's market is on Haight, there's also some bike parking in the street. But it has to be a lot more um, attractive. And I really would like us to give staff direction to make that what really should be an attractive space. Um, Anyway, and the other thing is, if I'm a bicyclist and I wanted to go on, we had other errands to run, I want to get to Webster Street. So we did that. It's like a slalom course through the barricades, through the, the um, recycling bins. Come on, put a bike lane in there so the bicyclists can get through. We can do better on that. So city engineer, I know you're taking copious notes. Um, but we do need bicycle parking for those larger bicycles, those cargo bikes. I'm talking to young parents. They're putting as many as 2,000 miles on their cargo bikes in a year. Those are vehicle 
several miles not traveled. We need to support that. I'd like those bike lanes to be painted green. That might be in the, the um, plan. I think it's fine, but make them really visible. And uh, also one parklet per business. Nobody should have two parklets. That would be La Penca Azul at the corner of Park and Santa Clara. Pick your side, but not both corners. And um, also, I wonder, do our bars really need the outdoor space? Um, I just I want to make our sidewalks as kind of walkable as possible. The um, uh, as I said, we're balancing a lot of interests, so let's make sure that we're addressing those. But I do think if we make the the public spaces like the plaza and the healing garden um, attractive, people will use them. But it's not a 24-7 operation. Part of the balance is we've got residential over retail, which is a great model. It's, it's um, denser housing, but that means people are trying to sleep at night. And we've had some complaints. I think that Alameda Avenue has done it really well. Actually, I think Webster Street has too. I just know from the volume of um, email that I'm not getting about those concerns. But that's why it's not a 24-7 operation. And finally, there's been a lot of comment about, oh, no public survey was done. Well, my public survey is when I go down Park Street, when I go down Webster Street, and I see those spaces being used, when I see every table at Burma Superstar, at um, Spinning Bones, um, occupied at lunchtime or dinner, that makes me really happy. Um, and so, and even the city manager noted how Webster Street, she said she, you know, just from the time she was away, how much more vibrant it has, made, has become. So I'd like to move this forward as, um, uh, in the staff report, not provide the space for purely retail, unless it's like a shared space that could be rented for a pop-up here and there, and then direction on Alameda Avenue is noted there. Okay, so what we are looking for is um, a motion, or let's see, it is a motion, isn't it? Mm -hmm. To, um, uh, well, we're providing direction, but you'd like that in the form of a motion, right? To um, adopt the staff's recommendation with the um, the direction that was given. Anyone want to make that motion or add to it? I'll uh, I'll make that motion. All right, Vice Mayor, with the with the Direction suggested changes that that Vice that Councilmember Vela made um, suggestions. I did. I th think we all made some. And did our well, did our staff capture the, the city clerk? Would you have? I, I, unless it's in the motion, I don't write specifically everything you guys I, suggested, but we'll get it from the record. Yeah, I did. City I just, the, I, the okay. one thing, I yeah. mean, it, what I do hear is that the, I see, I hear a majority on the striping plan, which is going to allow us to yes. get those meters back up, allow us Thanks. to get the bike lanes in. What I hear is that there's majority in favor of the parklet program, but there is a little difference in terms of whether or not those stay part of a business or become just public spaces. So could I just recommend that we move forward with staff recommendation, but on the parklet program, can we come back to you with a little, maybe some criteria on that and we try to get a little more consensus and maybe we allow it to continue based on the staff recommendation, but with, when we bring the contract back for the barricades, we have a better criteria on the parklets. Because I don't, I don't hear perfect. I just like to flesh that out a little bit. Um, and then on Alameda Avenue, okay with that? Come back with more, more detail on the parklets or Councilmember. Yeah, 
I'd like to hear more detail on it, but I also want to see more regulation in terms of what they're constructed out of, what they look like, and where they are actually placed, because I also don't necessarily think that we should be opening it up for the entire street the way that it, it has been. So I think yeah. more detail, substantial detail is needed relative to those points. Okay, and that's because that is that consensus on trying to not privatize them, not have them be associated with a particular business, or try to make them public, because that is a bigger difference than we end up maintaining those, or, so just, that is a, I, I, a point. Mm -hmm. okay. I, so I, I can speak for my concern. I, I'm fine, I think it's a mixture, because I think that there does need to be some public space options. I think having it at Alameda Avenue is great. There might be some other opportunities towards the other end of Park Street near Ollie's or whatever to actually build a small little parklet next to one of the bulbs there too. So I want to put that out there. Okay. Or, or, or maybe not. Maybe it's other places. I, but the other thing is for the, for the actual parklets on the street, I don't want it to just be you have a space in front of your business, now you can you can just put in for it, or you've got a restaurant. I do think that there could be issues that come up relative to that, and I think we need to flush through what the policy is gonna look like relative to rent, you know, rental terms um, and you know duration, that sort of thing. Yeah, and utilization, I've heard that a lot, right. where and just having someone take a parking space when that could be used and that's not being used, or it's being for a use that, may, that maybe you're not wanting to incentivize in some way. So. So I think then I have enough, and then a plan, what I would suggest is that we flesh out a plan for Alameda Avenue that's a little more detailed um, about what's gonna, what's gonna be allowed there. So we would, essentially, it sounds like there's majority support for staff recommendation with coming back on more detail on the parklet program, how we're gonna make, you know, make sure we get compliance, how it's gonna look better, how we're gonna um, maybe regulate some of the uses a little bit, maybe it's just for restaurants, and so we'll kind of flesh that out a little bit. Um, and then also a, a more detailed plan on how to make Alameda Avenue better and more organized and, and more um, attractive. Is that? I think I heard one more thing uh, that the, there was a date certain on the barriers. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, so that is yeah. November. Oh, wait, I'm looking for Robert's here on the screen. Sorry. That, um, <laughs> w, that's November of this year. Is that correct? I mean, that needs to come back as quickly as possible. Is that right? November? That, that's or? the plan. Yes, that's the plan because we want to have that those in place, um, you know, before the holiday season. Um, so that we will come back. If we can't, we will do everything we can to make that happen by November. If we can't, we will be sure to come back to you. And what I'm thinking is that maybe we flesh out these policies and the plan for Alameda Avenue as part of that approval. Is that okay that we bring that back then? Okay. November? Uh, there were two other points, which is adding more loading zones as yes. well as as more bike parking, really being considerate to the types of bikes people are using because there are different types of bikes and we don't have enough bike parking. Yes, the loading zones are already being, they, they're definitely in that. We'll make sure we also have the, bark, the bike parking too. Mm -hmm. And double parking enforcement. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I asked to eliminate right-hand turns on certain streets in the, the commercial corridors. The right-hand turns? Uh, I don't know that there's consensus for that. What, what streets? The streets that are in the commercial corridors where it goes from two lanes to one lane. 
could we just give direction to staff to study that and come back when they give this presentation relative to bike safety? Because that's what I heard the concern to be was the multimodal interaction concern. That's, yep. But didn't the bike advocates say that's why you have the bike box as part of the configuration? Is that right, Deputy Director Rance? On the right turn lanes? I agree that we can we can study that further and come up with more recommendations on how to treat right turns and, and protect bikes um, at the intersection. Thank you, Mr. Van. So that, that could include bike bike boxes. It could include um, other, other intersection treatments to help guide cyclists. Great. I think I, I think we have sufficient direction. Is that okay? Yeah. So I know Vice Mayor Desad made the motion. Did we get a second? I'll second we with have that direction. Second. With all the direction. Okay. Um, with that, um, all those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Any abstentions? That passes unanimously. Good work, um, staff and council, and thanks, members of the public, for your input. All right. So then we move on to item um, 7C. Madam Clerk, you want to introduce that while we... Public hearing to consider Staff introduction change. of ordinance amending the zoning map for the approximately 6.73 acre property at 250 Singleton Avenue, APN 7490597, to remove the G overlay special government combining district designation as recommended by the planning board. Thank you. Okay. And this is Mr. Thomas, is it not? I think we're promoting. Mr. Don? Oh, it's Alan. Mr. Thomas. I should be on that. Oh. Yes, I did know that. Sorry. I never know where to look. <laughs> that was we'll a transition. Yes. <laughs> Thank All you. Right. Acting Director Alan Tai. All right. Oh, that's right. Acting Planner Direct uh, Acting Planning Director Alan Tai. And while we're waiting for Mr. Tai to appear, I'm just going to do a PSA related to what the chief was talking about. When you're driving along in your car and you hear a siren behind you, just pull over to the right. Look to the right first to make sure there's not a bicyclist or something in your way, but don't, don't keep driving. Don't do that. Since the presentation is, is up, you can only see the presentation, oh, but he is there and he's ready there. to go. All right. Welcome, um, interim, uh, interim Planning Director Ty. Thank you. Uh, good evening, Madam Mayor, Vice Mayor, and members of the Council. Uh, Alan Ty, Acting Planning Building Director. Um, what I have before you tonight is a very simple cleanup to the zoning map. Uh, the cleanup involves removing the G special government overlay from the zoning designation of the Alameda Unified School District property at 250 Singleton Avenue. Uh, the G overlay is a zoning designation used to identify land in the city that's under federal and uh, state ownership. And the zoning ordinance actually requires the city to take action to remove that overlay when the land is uh, no longer under uh, federal or state ownership. And this property is now owned by AUSD. Um, and so consistent with the zoning ordinance, staff and the planning board are recommending council approve this cleanup action. Uh, this cleanup will require the council to pass an ordinance and is technically a rezoning, uh, but it would only remove the G overlay designation. It does not touch the uh, or change the underlying zoning regulations applying to the property. So that concludes my staff presentation, and I'm happy to answer any questions. All right. Thank you very much. Madam Clerk, do we have public comment on this? We do not. All right. Well, I'm going to close public comment on item 7C and open this up for questions or a motion. 
I'd like there's, to move the there's item. There's Mr. Ty. Sorry, who was that? I'd like to move the item. All right. Second. We do we have a motion and second on this side of the okay. <laughs> it's been moved by Councilmember Herrera Spencer, seconded by Councilmember Vela that we um, approve this ordinance, uh, the introduction of the ordinance uh, as um, interim director Ty laid out for us. All right, if there's no further discussion, may we have a roll? No, it's not a roll call, but we're all here. <laughs> all those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed, any abstentions? Hearing none, that motion passes unanimously and might have set a record for speed. Thank you, <laughs> Mr. Todd, good to see you. All right, we then move on to item eight, city manager communications. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I have a number here of comments. Um, thank you to ARPD and many other city departments and staff for their work to organize the 4th of July parade. We've heard from a few residents who missed seeing some of their favorite participants. Um, we'll continue to work with equestrian experts to ensure the humane treatment of horses and the safety of parade viewers. A few popular entries, um, including the Sikh riders and school bands, cannot come this year due to medical issues and capacity limitations. Um, we will reach out to everyone early next year and hope they will all be back next year. Um, excited to announce that I've appointed Justin Long to lead the Recreation and Parks Department, and he'll be starting uh, next Monday. Uh, Justin has an impressive background in landscape architecture and executive park management, a commitment to innovation, equity, and service, and I'm confident he will be a great leader. Thank you to Alameda Police Department for their investigative efforts that led to the recent arrest of a 22-year-old Oakland woman after linking her to at least 21 catalytic converter thefts, multiple stolen vehicles, and four shootings between January and May. The DA's office filed a total of 28 felony charges. The investigation remains ongoing, and if you have any information, please contact APD. We take these incidents very seriously and are continuing to work on outstanding cases and use intelligence-based policing to reduce thefts overall. And thank you to the Alameda Chamber for hosting the annual Business Excellence Awards, honoring those who have made an extraordinary contribution to our community. And three of our executive management team won awards. Communications Director Sarah Henry won the Public-Private Partnership Partner Award, and the Police Chief Joshi and Fire Chief Luby shared the Distinguished President's Legacy Award. And I'm very proud to be working with such a committed, pub such committed public servants Alameda businesses who received awards include the Alameda Post, Crunch Fitness, Eat Just, Firebrand, Penumbra, Preacher's Daughters, Reap Climate Center, and Salt Breaker. And that's Thank it. you, City Manager Ott. And we move next to our number nine oral communication non-agenda. We do have one more speaker, Jaretta uh, Walker. Uh, welcome, Ms. Walker. Good evening, my name is Javita Walker. I am a resident of Alameda Point Collaborative. I'm disabled physically for the, with sight issues as well as respiratory problems. I'm asking the mayor and the city council to help me with my, my housing situation. I have tried for over a year sending emails and making phone calls to Alameda Point Collaborative to transfer me to another unit in or place me on the priority list within the city of Alameda. The court awarded me a protective order against my harasser in March of 2023. I have submitted my court order for transfer to Alameda Point Collaborative. I feel that 
Alameda Port Collaborative is retaliating against me and is threatening to evict me because I am asking for a new unit where I feel safe. I am currently living in a shelter because I don't feel safe in my residence. In addition, I went to, uh, in addition, I went home to retrieve a few articles only to find my TV missing. I made a police report. I'm respectfully asking for the mayor's help in resolving my issue. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, and I know you've connected with staff, so. Yes, ma'am. All right, thank you for coming. All right, and do we have any further oral communication? We do not. All right, with that, I'm gonna close item nine. We have no um, item 10, council referrals. We do need to take a vote on item 11A. Could you um, introduce that item for us, please, um, Madam Clerk? Designation of voting delegates and alternates for the California City's annual conference. And we need to do this one tonight because the annual conference is in September and they need the designation, so. Um, and currently um, the mayor and uh, council member Bella have been selected. Okay. They're the current reps. Okay, so we're looking for um, a vote. I think we're both willing to, to serve again. Yeah. And, um, and we're looking for a vote, uh, a motion um, and a second to approve that. I'll move. Okay, Vice Mayor I'll moved. second. Uh, Council Member Vella seconds. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed abstentions? That passes unanimously. And then we move to item 11B, which is just my favorite, <laughs> other than voting to approve them. <laughs> but I have, um, and this is just, um, I'm introducing the names of my nominees Bye-bye. And, um, and uh, the, um, then at the next council meeting, which will be the July 18th, July 18th um, before we go on break, we will have um, hopefully um, approved all of our, um, our nominees. So let me run through them um, quickly. Um, for the com Commission on Persons with Disabilities, and again, I cannot overemphasize the amazing applicants we had, and it's a combination of incumbents applying to serve again, and also um, new people who are just enthused about um, serving their city, and I'm always looking for diversity of every kind, ethnic, racial, age, um, area of the city where you live, renters, owners, those who've lived here a long time, those who are relatively new and everything in between. And, um, and, and you can't do all that on one board or commission, but across our commissions, we certainly do. And I do work with the staff who staff each of our boards and commissions to uh, make these selections. So my announcements are, for the Commission on Persons with Disabilities, um, we are reappointing our incumbent, Catherine Katie Beeler, who works professionally with reading materials for those who are visually impaired. And um, we also are appointing um, Dr. Kathleen Bondsmith. Dr. Bondsmith is a pediatrician at UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital in San Francisco, where she's also a clinical professor on staff. She, um, she works with 
children of all ages because she's a pediatric hospitalist, which means any child who's admitted there. She works with, she does a lot of work with um, adolescents. She's also the daughter of a woman who for the last 10 years of her life um, had multiple sclerosis and used a wheelchair. And her um, son, her older of two, who's starting kindergarten, is hearing impaired. And she just brings a wealth of um, a background to this commission. For our golf commission, we have um, two new um, new folks um, who will join the, the incumbents. One is Lynn Jones, and Ms. Jones has is recently retired, but her career has been administering public golf courses, and so she's very experienced in working with municipalities, the operators of their golf courses, and um, brings that experience. And then Andrew Dewey is a, a new and younger resident, because that's the other thing. Um, there was a time when our boards and commissions were a lot of retired folks who had the time. We still have those folks. But it's great to hear that new, younger um, uh, perspective. So Mr. Dewey is, he actually has a finance background. I believe he works for Deloitte. But he's been golfing um, most of his life. And um, he uh, uh, has great ideas for how to open our golf courses to more visitors, to attract younger visitors, and also has a, a very astute um, business perspective that he brings. So that's the Golf Commission. The Public Art Commission um, staff really um, encouraged me to reappoint the two incumbents who were eligible. That's Liz Rush and Peter Plotzgummer, who both have impressive art backgrounds themselves, just because of the projects the Public Art Commission has gotten started in on, they would like that continuity. And so I was happy to accommodate them. For our um, um, Transportation Commission, I did a combination of um, reappointing an incumbent, Scott Whitesey. And um, Scott is actually a geneticist. He's in the science field, but he um, is also a transportation user of multimodal transportation. Lives in the West End. I like geographic diversity. Um, he's also president of the Woodstock Homeowners Association. If you know Woodstock, it's a cool um, development out on um, going toward Alameda Point. And then Drew Dara Abrams, who's a more recent um, uh, resident and both lives and works in Alameda and uh, is a young father, father of a couple of young kids, walks, rides his bike, uses all kinds of means of transit to get around the island. And then the Recreation and Parks Commission, I'm really excited. I'm excited about all these um, applicants. And I think, do I have one of you in the audience? Is that, yes, two of you. Oh, yay you. And y'all know it's just, you know, you didn't have to be here. But I love you that you're here. So in the first row, I've got Kareem Burney. And in the uh, back farther, I've got, and I don't know if you two have had a chance to meet each other, but Wesley, is it Raddy's Rated? Radies, Radies. And so Mr. Bernie um, comes with a background. He's a scientist. He is in, he's got, I think, a, a bio. Chemical engineering, biomedical engineering. He also lives and works in Alameda because he works for one of our um, our science companies out at the Harbor Bay Business Park. Can I say? Yes. 
He's with, he's with Abbott Diabetes, but he has spent much of his time, I think from the time you were a college student, encouraging young people of color to get in, involved in the, um, in the STEM field, work with young people. He's got a really impressive resume. And again, I'm, I'm just really excited. When I look at the balance we'll have on the Recreation Parks Commission, we have some commissioners who are longtime Alameda residents, and they see things in a certain way. But it's that mix we need. And Mr. Rady's comes to us. He moved, I think you may both have moved here from Oakland. Um, but uh, Mr. Rady's headed. Oakland's Park and Recreation Foundation, which was a public-private partnership that worked, for example, with the Clorox um, Corporation to do the renovation of Defremery Park in East Oakland, which has a deep history with the, um, the Black Panther Party and the, and the, the services the, that they provided to the Oakland community. And so just seeing the work that he's done, and he's the um, father of, I think, an eight-year-old, and um, and you live, Mr. Bernie is out in one of our newer areas, out closer to the Bahal Circle Immigrant Park, and Mr. Radies is out here on closer to the Civic Center, the East End. So just wait. and then our our third um, um, appointee to the Recreation Parks Commission, Drew Swartz, couldn't make it tonight. He has been involved in aquatics, swimming, lifeguarding swam competitively as um, in college, and now as we move to open our aquatic center, the Recreation Parks Commission is going to be dealing a lot with that. So we, and he lives, um, I think, uh, uh, closer to where, um, uh, on the, closer to Lincoln School, that area of town. But we've got, we've got a great mix. And so, again, I think everybody who applied, sat through interviews, it was my pleasure to have a chance to meet you, and lovely to see you in three in the flesh, and so um, just a little introduction, thumbnail sketch at our next council meeting. You'll have an opportunity to vote on him and approve all of them. Thank you both for coming and getting a taste of what we do on the city council. Your meetings will be shorter. Okay, and so um, with that, wait, I think, did we skip council communications? Well, no, you can do it now, yeah. I all. can do it now, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. that was, I just wanted to get this voting out. Yeah. Okay, we have, um, we we would we won't have to take a vote if we finish by eleven o'clock, right? No, you're fine. Oh, now this, we're done. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The only thing was you had to do the, the vote, vote on eleven A. Got it. Okay. Thank so you. So who wants to lead on that? Councilmember Vela on council communications. Anything to share? Uh, had a great time with my family at the Fourth of July parade. Uh, it was great seeing everyone. I thought um, you know there were a lot of folks out on the parade route. It was it was really nice and the weather cooperated. Um, uh, attended our um, uh, lead abatement meeting um, as well. Um, it would be nice, I think, if we could uh, make sure and just double check with our, our um, planning, our um, code enforcement officers uh, to make sure that they're getting recertified uh, if they haven't signed up already. I know Orlando's usually on top of that, but um, just to follow up, uh, knowing that the spaces will, um, will fill up fairly quickly, uh, and we have an opportunity as a member of the JPA to get our folks in. Um, and then um, also, if we can do some work with our, um, with our providers here in Alameda, um, while it's uh, not, there, there isn't mandatory blood lead testing, um, 
we are seeing a, a number of folks not um, opting in for the test for their children, and there are lasting impacts. Uh, and because we have so many older homes and uh, daycare facilities and um, other uh, uh, childcare facilities in older buildings, um, it is something that we should be working on to recommend uh, that children are getting blood blood tested. Uh, so um, there's some materials that are coming out. The City of Berkeley um, has some from their public health department, and I've asked uh, for those to be shared with the City of Alameda so that we can replicate those materials. That would be great. Thank you. Anybody else? I'll go quickly. I attended on June 22nd. I attended Leave California City's Policy Committee on Housing Community Economic Development, and we talked a lot about what we need from the state to help us address our homelessness issues. Um, unfortunately, my flight from Ontario was delayed, so I missed the chamber event. Um, but I, um, that Saturday, I spoke to the League of Women Voters about at their annual meeting and just updated them about Dignity Village. And, you know, Dignity Village is already open on May 3rd, our tra transitional housing development. And already three residents are getting ready to transition out of Dignity Village because they've um, located permanent, uh, permanent housing has been located for them. These are most likely residents who were already receiving services and shelter at either the warming shelter or, um, uh, uh, the day center or safe parking at Alameda Point or, or something that the city was working with. And then two of the residents have found um, stable employment just since they've been there. And so it's, um, it's working well and I'm just you know so pleased that we, um, we did this and it will continue to yield wonderful results. I also was honored on um, June the 28th to do the ribbon cutting for Senti Bio, um, Bioscience at Harbor Bay Business Parkway. I saw um, uh, Councilmember Herrera Spencer, and okay, um, was there too. And this is a, a company that's doing genetic, um, genetic modifications, engineering to do targeted cancer gene therapy for cancers and other serious diseases. Um, and also, we are, one of the things economic development's going to be doing is arranging these open houses and mixers, I guess, for the different bioscience sectors in our different parts of the city, because really, y'all should know what the others are doing, and it's just a really nice opportunity for that to happen. And... Um, so my phone doesn't recognize my face, but anyway, I, okay, and then, uh, oh, and the next day, June 29th, we had a lovely retirement party for celebration for Jane Tisaki, our longtime um, library director and 39-year employee of the Alameda Free Library. And after wishing Jane farewell, a few of us sped, well, we drove the drive, the, the speed limit, actually it was slower because of traffic, to Danville to participate in the um, bocce tournament that League of California Cities does to raise money for its political action committee that does the important lobbying that the League does. So I do want to thank uh, my council colleague, Tracy Jensen, um, Public Information Officer Sarah Henry and City Manager Jennifer Ott, we made a valiant effort. We didn't embarrass the city, but we didn't bring a trophy home either. But winning's not everything. Um, we're very spirited. And next year, next year, we're going to do it. And then um, I, oh, and I got to join a lovely luncheon with the police chief of 
our sister city in, in Italy, in Verazze. Well, no, not in Verazze. We went to Trabocco. He came from Verazze for lunch. No, he's on a visit. And then, of course, yesterday was the 4th of July parade. Great job, city staff. It takes a lot of work. I would say riding through the city on my electric bike and with the, you know, trying not to run into uh, <laughs> the vice mayor, um, as I did my circles in the street, I think the crowds were even bigger this year and just so enthusiastic and so yay everyone who did that. So with that, it's 11 o'clock in this meeting. Oh, hello. Okay. There were two of us, Council Member Jensen and myself. Oh, I had didn't comments. see hands up. Okay. But it's <laughs> never too late. Go right ahead. Uh, Council Member uh, Harris Spencer and then we'll do Council Member right. Jensen. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so I wanted, to, I'm, I serve on the, um, Oakland Airport Noise Forum, and I wanted to make sure the public is aware of you. Google FAA opens public comment period on noise policy review. That continues through the end of this month, so you could go on there and complete a survey, uh, and that's very important for our community in regards to re the noise that many of us um, endure from the planes. So I wanted to make sure everyone's aware of that. And, um, I also want to make sure, so, um, we, there were several uh, uh, incidents, police incidents, uh, that were significant that I wanted to share with the public. Uh, July 2nd, there's an armed carjacking and, uh, at 12.51 p.m. So that's in the middle of the day, right when many of us could be out and about. And it occurred at 1400 block East Shore. And what happened was an adult female uh, victim was carjacked at gunpoint uh, by two unknown adult male suspects. And then there was an update, I believe, today that uh, two subjects were located in the victim's vehicle by an outside agency. One of the subjects was positively identified as a suspect in the carjacking and was taken into custody. I want to share that because I want people to be very aware of the amount of crime and what type of crime is that is happening in Alameda. Um, uh, June 26 at 11.35 a.m., so that's late morning. Many of us would be out and about. Armed robbery, 3200 block of Briggs Avenue. Uh, and it says at the date, a date and time location, an adult female victim was robbed at gunpoint by two unknown adult male suspects uh, who fled the scene um, with the loss in a vehicle. Uh, no one was injured. Uh, however, um, it's, uh, at this point, it appears that the suspects are still at large. Uh, another very significant crime happening in the middle of the day when any of us could be out and about. In, um, and then the third one I wanted to highlight, June 27th, 4 a.m attempted carjacking, uh, and that was 1500 uh, Willow Street. Um, and at that time, uh, APD officer responded to this location, uh, reported attempted carjacking. When the officers arrived, they contacted the adult victim who said two male subjects approached her with firearms, demanding her vehicle. Somehow she was able to drive away and was uninjured. Uh, but again, uh, firearm uh, attempted carjacking, very significant uh, type of crime that's happening. Um, I want to share that I was also able to attend 
some of the events I attended. Yesterday, South Shore had, they're back to having their summer com, uh, concerts that are free to the public and they encourage donations to support Alameda Education Foundation. So you can get online and find out uh, when those concerts are, or if you're at South Shore, they have uh, them listed on like A-frames, right? Um, I also was able to participate in the 5K yesterday before the parade, and that benefited uh, the Midway Shelter for Women and Children, and I want to thank Steve Ashbaker uh, for organizing that. Uh, I was also able to attend the retirement of our, uh, Jane Chisaki, our librarian, as well as our ham radio field day we had. And that is something that is part of our citizen emergency response team. I highly encourage people to join CERT and the ham radio because in the event of a disaster, uh, we will be counting on our community members to assist our first responders. I was able to attend the Chambers Business Awards as well as two mixers from uh, West Alameda Business Association that was held at B Building 43 Winery and the Downtown Alameda Business Association mixer that was held, uh, sponsored by Alameda Post. And that was held on, uh, outside uh, on uh, Alameda Avenue uh, that we've been discussing this evening. So thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Jensen. Thank you. Councilmember Herrera-Spencer, um, I. I um, appreciate your comments, and I actually last week I did something that was very interesting, and I learned a lot more about crime in Alameda. I did a ride along with APD Officer Green. We responded to several things that were going on in Alameda, and I learned about responses. I learned about response times. I learned about the types of incidents that are happening in Alameda, and I learned what a great great officers and great patrol we have out there responding to crime in Alameda. So that was very informative and useful and I um, recommend it to, to others. The uh, parade also, I joined my colleagues and council members in the mayor and a number of the count of city staff in the parade. It was terrific. It was probably my 10th or 12th Alameda parade, but it was very special for me because it was the first one that I had ever ridden in a convertible. Thank you, Sarah, for that. <laughs> And um, I also joined um, Councilmember Herrera Spencer at Winery 37 for the Waba after work gathering, which was very good, very, very nice wines and um, nice people there. The later that, or earlier that day, I had been at a Rotary event, so I've been um, honored to be asked to talk to our Rotary members more than once since I've been on the City Council, and they're doing a great job in terms of scholarships, things like that, but also just staying involved in the community. Finally, I wanted to share with um, everyone that um, this Saturday, the Household Hazardous Waste Program is sponsoring a free one-day event in Oakland. It's at the Oakland Coliseum. You have to make an appointment, but from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., you can drop off hazardous waste, batteries, paint, anything that you don't know what to do with, you can drop it off and have it recycled or repurposed at this event. It's the Household Hazardous Waste One Day event, Saturday, Sunday, July 9th from 9 to 1 p.m. And go to stopwaste.org, one word, stopwaste.org, to make an appointment. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you, staff. Thank you, um, spectators or visitors. And thank you, everyone, for, who participated. All right. We'll see you in a couple weeks.